Hello, guys. Welcome back to another edition of the I'm Always Right Sports Podcast. I am your host, as always, the mouth of Michigan, Rob Mendeika, and I have an extremely special treat for you guys today on the two-year anniversary of the I'm Always Right Sports Podcast. I have, I guess, a mentor, um, somebody that I looked up to. He was a teacher of mine in high school. It's been a little while since we've talked, but I could not be more excited to have him on here. He is also the head varsity baseball coach for Lanphier High School, my alma mater. He is a football coach. He's been a basketball coach. He, he's done a little bit of everything, and he's also the person who got me into podcasting. So ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mr. Adam Woolley to the show. Adam, welcome. I'm going to call you Mr. Woolley because I feel weird That's calling you Adam. <laughs> I just said it, and it felt so weird. I went, nope, it's Mr. Woolley. <laughs> Adam's fine, you know, whatever, we can, we can make it work. Yeah. I'm just smiling, Rob, because, I mean, I do. I, it's not been that long since you've been out. And, yeah. you know, to sit here and think that you're on your two-year anniversary, I'm proud of you. I'm happy for you and Thank everybody you. else involved in the show. And uh, I think it's great because yeah. the – I don't want to call it irony. I guess the uh, fitting title <laughs> of your program, I'm always right. right. – yeah. Just reminds me of when you were on the shot clock show back in, in high school and yep. you were, you were dug in, <laughs> I, I dug in on Matt Stafford. And I, I'm yep. sure you're still there, you know? Oh, no, so, absolutely. hundred yeah. percent. It's not been as easy this year, but nonetheless. <laughs> I just want to see this thing unfold tonight and see where it goes with us. So yeah. now that I, now that I don't have the power of grading you, <laughs> I, I'm kind of a, a little bit like, yeah. yeah. Thankfully we're, we're fans of quite a few of the same teams. So I think it's going to work out. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. Um, normally when we, when we have coaches on like you, uh, it, it's one of those things where we really get into the delve, uh, we delve into the school in Lanphier and we're going to do that, but I wanted to really expand with you because I look at you as a sports intellectual equal, uh, in a lot of regards because, because of the fact that I learned a lot about, you know, why people do the things that they do, not just from, you know, from where we're at now with podcasting and stuff, but from the sports aspect, I mean, when I went to high school and I was a freshman, I just looked at you and I was like, I don't know if I could play for that guy because you were, you know, and it was just one of those things to where even I would see you in a gym class or I'd see you and I'd just be like, wow, he is intense. And I don't actually know if you know, the first time I ever actually had a conversation with you was I was a JV football player and you wanted someone to go get a camera on top of, uh, of the skybox there. And nobody was really volunteering to go. And you went, okay, I guess that means none of you guys want to play varsity football. <laughs> and then we all <laughs> ran up to the top of the skybox to go grab the camera. It was one of those things where it's like, oh, that was Coach Woolley. Man, he's, he was really serious. <laughs> well, welcome, right? Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, but then obviously I got to know you. I was your co-op my senior year, uh, which was a great experience. Um, but so that's just a little bit of background for, for the people who are listening about us, but let's just jump right into it here. Um, I want to talk to you first and foremost, we'll get to lamp here in the back half of this, but I want to talk to you about Michigan football a little bit, because I think that is the, right. that is the first thing that I think when I, I follow you on Twitter and I see that is the thing I think that you're talking the most about. If you're talking about sports, at least right now, the lions are dumpster fire. It's fine. You're a Steelers fan. So you're living in all your glory, but with, with Michigan football, that's Will one you thing that we have... let everybody know too. It's a longtime Steelers fan. This is yes, not that is true. Yeah, no, he's not a he's not a bandwagoner. When I was in high school, he was still like, you need to get off the Lions train. I still haven't learned, but he learned a long time. He was a long suffering Lions fan. They went, you know what? Screw it. I'm out. And he joined up a long time ago, even when the Steelers were quote unquote maybe not the top dog in the AFC at the time either. I mean, they went through some rough patches with Cordell Stewart and Tommy Maddox under center. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, let's let's talk about Michigan football here because th I, I've had a lot of conversations with people and 
it's I think people are at the point now where they are beyond furious um, with the state of the program and beyond furious with Jim Harbaugh. Now, I've always been of the can of, okay, yeah, you can be mad, but at the same time, who are you going to get? And that's always been my constant argument. And people just come back to me and say, well, this is Michigan. I go, okay, great. That's what people make fun of us for is you saying that line, this is Michigan. I don't care who you are. The fact is you're not winning anymore. But it, it's, it's a big risk to let go of a guy like Harbaugh, who people can say what they want, but he won in the NFL. He's won in college before. And you saw what happened when you didn't have somebody with writing the ship. We went through Brady Hope. We went through Rich Rod. That was a disaster. So, I mean, talk to me about where you're at with this, with this program right now, because it's, it's never been more confusing time. So just a little bit of history. I grew up a Michigan fan, but then I got yeah. extremely close to the program through a, a friend of mine who played. Okay. For and I was fortunate enough to be there during the uh, Gary Moeller years where they had, um, you know, Desmond and Elvis mm-hmm. and Greg mm-hmm. Spetnak and Dean Dingman and all those guys. And just got to understand football a little bit better through their eyes. And in fact, like directly through my friend. Yeah. So like the lineage of, of the history of the Mich- of Michigan football goes back a long ways. I mean, my first, I'll be honest with you, my first memories are of like Butch Woolfolk and Lawrence Ricks. So they were the Schembechler years to the Mueller yeah. years to the Carr years. Right. And with that being said, with, with that kind of historical perspective and looking back, here's a couple of key points. And um, I think what you were talking about were some of the tweets that I get on with a um, longtime Michigan writer. His right. name is John Bacon. He's, he's extremely close. Yes. To, and he and I go back and forth because we used to work together. But I was saying something to John along the lines of this last week. And that is, I personally love Jim Harbaugh. Um, got the haircut. You know, I do have a lot of the intensity that Harbaugh possesses. And I also know that the man does, in fact, know a lot about football. Right. You, he procures NFL talent. It, it's evident by what's out there playing right now. Absolutely. But there's something wrong. And, um, you know, I think it's really difficult to say it directly when you have a person of Harbaugh's stature, of Harbaugh's intensity, of Harbaugh's, mm-hmm. let's say, a legend, right? Right. In the Michigan program. But about two weeks ago, I heard Marcus Ray on a different sports talk program. And I've really been tuning sports talk out because it's mostly Same. about complaining. Yeah, right? it's, it's, all, it's all the gaslight people. And it's, it's not, there's, yeah. no, there's no substance to it anymore. I can't listen to anything. That's half the reason why I started this show. Yeah, and, and, and God bless you for doing that. Because when I did work in sports radio, this exact thing that we're talking about happened, which is right. a former player called in Marcus Ray. And he alluded to the fact that basically somebody, some, I'm sorry, some of the kids just are not happy with the way that Jim Harbaugh is presenting the program to them. And, mm-hmm. you know, when you look at it, all that history that I just talked to is great, but you know right. what, to a kid in 2020, it doesn't mean anything. Nope. Nothing. Nothing. And so one of the interesting things that you brought up, and I know we're going to get to high school coaching yeah. and specifically a Lanphier program, was you're spot on. When you came to Lanphier High School to play football, I got to tell you, I was a totally different person. And what I mean by that is I spent a lot of my younger years, my early years, trying to basically procure a brand, right? I was trying to be right. like, hey, look at me. I'm, I, can, I know what I'm doing. And, right. and you know what, Rob, it was to a fault. And what happened was I needed a lot of looking in the mirror, a lot of self-assessing, and I needed room for a lot of growth. And here was one of the craziest things. One of the people who gave me the, the most uh, and, and most uh, effective advice wasn't an yeah. adult. It was one of my former players, Ian Dimitri. Ian came up and he said, you know what, Willie, you got this side of you 
that's exuberant, it's funny, and you never let it out because you coach with this intensity. You, you use the right. word intensity. Right. And it was to a point where today's athlete really didn't want to be around me because it was just like this, this switch that was like, <laughs> you know, and I know what it's like. I, yeah, for sure. I, I live with it in my head. And so I did it in football. I did it, I did it to a fault in basketball. And I did it in, in baseball where baseball is my main sport. Okay. Right. But I played with an intensity and a passion. And so to your point, I know it's a long winded explanation, no, yeah. All but day long, baby. I'm looking at Harbaugh through that lens where you're to a point where you know that you know what you're talking about and he makes, you know, eight, $9 million a year and he doesn't want to be wrong, right. but that's stubborn. Right. And that's not progressive. Right. And the one thing you can say about a guy like Nick Saban, again, a person that I worked with on a radio show, he progressed. Right. He, whatever changed. you want to call it, lightened up, mm -hmm. changed. And those kids gravitate to him now because there's the legend, but then there's the track record. Right. And you've got the legend with Harbaugh, but you don't have the track record right now. Right. And that's something Michigan – well, Michigan first needs to seriously consider. And then Jim Harbaugh himself, in my opinion, has got to take a real long look in the mirror and say, what can I do? How can I adjust this? And what can I do to fix it? Well, think about it too, right? That's the reason why he came back to college in the first place is that the, the shtick ran long in San Francisco. I mean, you look at the – he was there for four years. They went to two NFC championship games – actually – three NFC championship games in a Super Bowl, and then they went eight and eight his final year. And then the Niners tore it all down, were terrible. I mean, they're back now, but I mean, you don't have that kind of success. And then you just like, oh yeah, by the way, I'm leaving now. And then you hear the stories afterwards, like he was just insufferable. I mean, it's like, yeah, we were winning, but it only goes so long. You can only push for so long. It's, you know, Lions fans over here complaining about Jim Caldwell getting fired at nine and seven. The Niners were in the Super Bowl and a couple plays away from being in back to back and they let their coach go when Harbaugh was here. So it's, it's, I think you're, you're spot on when you say that something needs to change. I think that's the reason why Urban Meyer has been so successful as well. And when he was at oh. Ohio State, is he was able to go, listen, I, maybe I don't need to know it all. Maybe I need to let simplify. Maybe I need to just go, you know what? These kids want to run and gun and, and have a good time and, you know, be these cool guys bouncing up and down the field. Maybe that's what they do best. Maybe let me just fit myself into that and then come in only when, ne when needed. Because I feel like right now it's a fine line. Um, I, to your point, I totally agree with what you're saying. Yeah. But it is, it's a fine line where you, as a coach, you still want to exude that confidence, that mm -hmm. leadership quality in you without being buddy guy, right? You don't right. need to be, you don't want to be somebody's friend. The yeah. fine line is, is bridging that distance between that you used the word mentor early on. And, you know, to that point, look, coaches are teachers the, the best ones are teachers and that's where i needed to like you know whack man hit myself <laughs> in the face and be like right. look you fool you don't need to yell and scream right. at the top of your lungs because it's not about the loudest person winning here it's about the person who can give off the most leadership and point the people and put them most importantly in the best positions to succeed and and right now i i really like what you had said about wearing out his welcome um, they're reading between the lines too, looking to delegate things, which I think yeah. he did, but then he got away from his core values and, yeah. and, and that's Michigan pounds of football. Let's face right. it. They pound the right. football, pound the football, third down and short, they'll get a throw. And, and then that they wear you down and then they make halftime adjustments. And right now 
I just feel like it's a lack of cultural identity within that program yes, and it needs to yes. get back to where they need to get that, to. That state, first when you say the phrase, put people in position to succeed, I think I got that phrase from you because I say that a lot when I'm talking <laughs> and I feel like I'm like, man, he said it like in the exact same way. It was weird. But, um, but I think you hit the nail on the head when you say a lack of identity because you look at Michigan's offense right now. I like Joe Milton. I'm glad they went the younger route simply because we, we have seen now the last couple of years – Harbaugh going with the experienced guy. All right, we're going to take Jay Ruok. We're doing the spate thing. We're going to do Shea Patterson. We've never seen what a young kid could do and develop while getting meaningful snaps. And we have seen now that those guys weren't going to get it done. I was clamoring for Shea to be benched week one after the loss to Notre Dame two years ago. I was I was on that train. Um, but right now you have this weird hybrid of like, we're going to still run eye set or eye, or eye offset, but we're also going to be in the shotgun in this weird pistol formation oh. thing. We're not, but we don't really know who to put in the backfield. So we're going to put Charbonnet back there, even though he can't, he has any vision, but we're going to also do read options and we've got motions, but the motions don't mean anything because we're running right. the ball anyway. Like it's, it's a weird hybrid of what Ohio state I think tries to do with a lot of crosses and a lot of things, just using raw athleticism. Cause that's what it is. It's, it's just athletes being athletes on Ohio State's offense and just being able to put them, as you said, in a position to succeed. Michigan can't do any of that right now because they don't know who they are. They don't know who they are. And now defensively, you've got a guy in Don Brown who has got all the accolades in the world, but you've seen now for the past three seasons the inability to change your scheme to oh. fit players that, yeah. that, you need to, that you need to succeed. And, and I think that you know we saw that against Michigan State where you're going to play press man, you're going to send the house. Okay, well, you didn't get home, and your corners keep getting burned. Yep. So <laughs> it's just like – and it's and you can say that about a lot of teams, especially here in Detroit. I think the Pistons are a slow-moving offense, which is going the complete opposite direction of where the NBA is going. The Tigers I, – I mean, I don't even know. We're going to hit on the Tigers here in a second. The Lions, I mean, run, run past me to death and make me throw something at the TV. It, it's just like an inability – to change with the times and they wonder why all of their rivals keep passing them by. And you wonder why you're stuck in 1987. And, and you know what, the frustrating thing for me is, you know, in 1987, you bring it up even <laughs> further than that, 2006, 2007, yeah, it wasn't good sure. enough for Michigan fans. And they, right. they clamored for, you know, let's go, let's go widespread. Well, you got that with Rich Rodriguez, but Rich Rodriguez, brought all the baggage that Rich Rodriguez brings. Oh, we need a Michigan man. They brought in Brady Hulk, but Brady Hulk wasn't ready for the job. And maybe he's better and better and more improved right now, but he wasn't ready for this job of this kind nope. of magnitude. Nope. And then you brought in, you know, like what everybody was jokingly calling the savior. And unfortunately the savior has fallen victim to, like you're saying, trying to like sprint to catch up to everybody else who's passing by when, in my opinion, I believe that the savior was a ground and pound type of a guy who could probably most likely go out and recruit similar type athletes to what Wisconsin has, mm -hmm. especially up front. And then that's your identity. We're going to smack you in the mouth right. time in and time again. Right. I'm going to have just enough talented quarterback and receiving core, which again, remember back in those early two thousands, you had your Chad Hennies and your uh, Mike Hartz. Yeah. You yes. had guys that could play yeah. Braylon Edwards yes. all over the football field. And, you know, it, but again, that just wasn't good enough. So nope. I think Michigan itself just simply needs to take a good long look in the mirror and say, who are we? What do we want to be? And then not you, you, cause you're not measuring. Nobody right now is measuring up with Ohio state. They, they are in, they're a an SEC team yep. in the big 10. 
yep. and they're light years ahead of everybody else. Yep. And they just keep churning out talent left and right. I mean, you saw, I mean, top three picks of this year's draft at some point played at Ohio state. You just keep, you keep seeing it, you know, and it's, it's frustrating if you're a Michigan fan, but at the same time, I'm not even mad when they lose Ohio state anymore. Cause you just go like, it's not even the same two teams playing. It's not like these are comparable teams. It's like, you got, you know, you got a master class and you got a beginner class over here going at it. And people get mad when I say that. I go, but it's the truth. You, you have to understand and be realistic about where your program is at. Right. It, and you're not there right now. And you haven't been there. And the one time you were close, you threw it away. So it, it, it's, it's, it's frustrating for sure. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what they do um, because it, this is a, a make or break kind of moment here. If you're a Michigan football program where you can either make the best of this, neither, even if you move on from Harbaugh and you go get your next guy, you know, you better be sure you better be right. Cause if you're not right, you look like an idiot. You know, let me, let me turn the tables on you yeah. uh, as your guest here. I'm, For sure. Let me ask you, do you think they're going to fire it? Yeah. Um, I, it's tough. I, I have seen some rumblings, how relevant or true they are that Michigan boosters are clamoring to go get urban Meyer and pay him like $12 million a year to come out of retirement and come win here. Um, I think he is probably the only person that I think would be qualified enough to take this job, not because it's Michigan, but looking at the competition that you would need to play and the amount of work that would need to be done to get yep. Michigan to where Ohio state is. That's a tall task for anybody. Yep. I know Luke fickles, the hot name. And I asked you about this actually last weekend, because I think he's the only other up and comer that could possibly Michigan fans go. Yeah. Cause he's turned around a program. Um, but that's once again, that's also another massive task that you're asking a guy who's in Cincinnati, who's not expected to win. He's just expected to not be an embarrassment. And they're just playing out of their minds. But now when you come to Michigan, the expectation is, no, no, you need to beat Ohio State like year two. So, well, And you look at that. We, and I, when I responded to your yeah. text, I said that, you know, they did this before where they, they made a bold move and went to Ohio State. Because if that's the mold, if that's the model, then, you know, imitation, they say, is the highest form of flattery. Why not? Yeah. You know, right. I, personally, I don't think that they're going to get rid of him. I really yeah. don't. I think there's too much invested in him right now unless this thing just continues to go off the rails and um, talking about the Michigan state game. Yeah. You know, to me, the season looked desperate when they went to that wildcat formation. And I was just like, what? Yeah. Is right. Why? Why? You took your best yeah. player off the field and, and you, you yeah. overthought it. I think they, with the Gaddis hiring and, and everything else, it just, it feels off. And, and that's the best way to put it. It doesn't feel right. It's hard to watch because you don't know what they want. If you're Milton, you don't know what's going on. They tried to make it simple and it worked against Minnesota. But then as the game got harder and you don't have people making plays for you, which is really a, what a quarterback needs, especially a young quarterback who's working on his touch, who's working on the intangibles where, I mean, people forget, okay, this kid's played four games before that he played last game. He played that was meaningful snaps was in high school. So you got to give this kid a little bit of time. I mean, it's not like he's going to shoot out of the rocket and he's in a perfect system where everybody else around him is also going to be a first round pick. I can, I can play quarterback for Ohio state right now with the amount of speed and, and you know, the team that's around them, it's a different game. And they lost Nico Collins, which was a huge loss right yeah, there. Yeah, for sure. Which I don't understand why he sat out, but that's another that's another conversation for another time. <laughs> Maybe he knew something about this COVID that we didn't know. So Maybe. Or, or this team, and that's a whole yeah. other thing to right. examine as well, you know. So right. Because there was a lot of scrutiny about that before and it's it's interesting. But I'm not I'm not jumping off the bandwagon. 
I'm just really frustrated. And the moment I see it start to go south, I'll go break leaves. Yeah, that's exactly what I did. I turned it off. <laughs> I think when I got to Fort, when he threw the second pick against Wisconsin, I went, and there's the movie I can watch instead. Yep. And, and people get, you know, they can get frustrated and whatever, but let's, you know, I, I caution people to, to, to really think about what they're asking for because we've seen it be much worse. I get it. They're one in three. I understand, but it's, it's similar to the Red Wing style of Eisenman saying, it's going to take a minute, so give me some time. I yeah. get it, we're in year five, but we were at 10 win seasons just as much as last year or two years ago. I know we're not beating Ohio State, but things could also be over three and seven losing to Toledo. So yeah. we got to put things in perspective just a little bit. Sure. Um, all right, let's talk Tigers here just a little bit real quick because I haven't got to talk to you with Tigers ever since the Tigers really got bad. So yeah. this is an interesting time. I just want to get your thoughts real quick on the direction of where you think the Tigers are going because there's a lot of optimism right now. They just hired A.J. Hinch, who is a World Series winning you know, manager from the Astros. They're finally getting to the point where we're seeing some of these draft picks actually starting to play and getting in the majors. You know, you saw some good things out of Casey Mize, Torkelson they love, Riley Green they love. Um, but I don't know necessarily if they're ready to like start spending money to go get those couple veteran guys to put them over the top. What, what are your thoughts on the, because baseball is your, is your forte and you, you cycle, you have to cycle kids all the time. So talk to me about where you think the Tigers are at right now. Are you excited or are you just kind of like, meh? No, I'm excited. I, I'm impressed more than anything because initially Al Avila didn't do anything for me. Yeah, um, no kidding. I was like, you know, very skeptical of, the decision-making process of making him the person in charge of trying to get all this talent together. Right. But when they built the stockpile of arms that they built at the minor league system, mm -hmm. uh, that was intriguing. And then for them to go around and then, you know, pick up guys like Riley Green and Spencer Torkelson. And I'll tell you what, another one that I really am excited about is Cabrera, not Miguel, but yeah. uh, you know, uh, Daniel Cabrera. I, believe. I think, yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking uh, about. LSU. He, I, I did have a chance to – I've got the, the uh, SEC package for the college baseball. I've seen him. He's a good gap-to-gap -gap hitter with just enough speed to be a double threat and stuff like that. I just – I feel like he's going to be one of those guys that kind of floats under the radar a little bit, and then the next thing you know, he's going to become a household name. Right. My disappointment with the entire process is just something that kind of, like, baffles me with Major League Baseball, and that is I watch a lot of these uh, leagues like – the NBA and the NHL in particular yeah. take these younger players and, you know, basically push them. If, and if they have the talent, they have the opportunity to be able to push it, push them through the system. Right. And I look at a kid like Torkelson and I say to myself, what wouldn't he have benefited from just by as playing. far as going up? Yeah. Yeah. I don't understand that. Yes. And, yes. and I grew up again, I'm old here, uh, <laughs> but I grew up with the time when Petrie Morris Parrish, Gibson, right. Trammell, and Whitaker came up through the farm system. Interesting fact that you may or may not remember, but Mr. Magnus's um, grandfather, Ed Catalinas, mm -hmm. was the director of scouting during that time. Oh, really? I did not oh, know yeah. that. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. and he, he brought all those guys up. Uh, Mr. Catalinas, whose lawn I did cut to get tickets to the 8014. Um, <laughs> he brought all that talent up. And those guys were – I mean, I literally remember the conversation about Lance Parrish. He gave up something like – it was something like 17 or 24 pass balls his rookie year. It was awful. It was terrible. And he was a work in progress because he was a, a change he, – he moved from third base to catcher. And long story short, he turned himself into an all-star – you know, with, in some cases, Hall of Fame numbers. And my point to that is we suffered through seasons where he batted 233. 
But we also watched when he hit 282 with three, 33 home runs and 105 runs driven in. Alan Trammell, same thing. Right. Up, down, up, down, became a professional and found water. And that's what I look at these guys at the age of 22, 23, 24, 25, and I'm like, why are they not in the big leagues yet? Because right. at that age, these guys were winning and you know contending for World Series and were like, they're young, they're young. And I, I don't buy that. So yeah. if it would be one criticism – I'm sorry, let me put the pluses with the minuses. Yeah. The prospects and the talent I'm excited about. Um, the, the cons of it all, I want to see them come up. And I don't know – if they're in any position, like you, you said at the outset right. of bringing the free agents, but, but remember it wasn't, they weren't, it was, it was 20 years ago when they were in the same boat mm -hmm. and it wasn't Juan Gonzalez. That was a failed experiment. <laughs> it was Yvonne Rodriguez. Yes. It was the linchpin. Right. They brought him in and he was able to influence more guys mm -hmm. and, and then surrounded with some of that burgeoning talent that they had. They, yes. they were in the mix for a long, long time. Right. And I would love to see something like that happen. If they can bring in a couple of free agents with some influence and some clout right. and, and they're like, and, and, you know, there's been rumors of if Verlander goes post Tommy John, that he may want to close out his career here. Yeah. That's that's, yeah. I, yeah. And, and it's being smart about it, right. Being smart about the acquisitions. Like when Pudge came here, he'd already won a ring. Right. So he wasn't ring chasing at this point. Right. He, he got a big deal to come here, but he was the first piece to, of the dominoes to kind of clip, 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 clip. And it was and allowed you to build off of something. So when you make a big trade to get Miguel Cabrera and you sell the farm to go get him at, you know, 25 years of age or whatever, everyone goes, OK. And, 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 and you build off of these things, yeah. and you make that connection. I'm in total agreement with you, though. I, we talked, uh, me and my brother-in-law, Mike, who I actually do the show with, um, he, you know, we talked about the beginning of the season, like, I don't know you know, especially if they're like 10, 15 games in and we're kind of saying we're treading water. Why not? What, what is the harm? You're not going to win the world series this year. Anyway, you're, you're not, you're not close yet. So why not bring these kids up? See what you have at some point, you got to figure out what you have because triple A only get you so far. And I don't, I, I know for a fact, garden hire would have been one of the guys to have been able to handle it. I thought he did yeah. an admirable, more than admirable. Did I, as did I, what a, what a great manager. And then yeah. Hinch, that's supposed to be his thing. He's supposed yep. to be able to take young, talented guys and get the most out of it. And, mm -hmm. you know, does, forget about whether or not he was a player and forget about the cheating scandal as well. I mean, right. let, look, you and I have talked, even when you were speaking <laughs> about what's going on in baseball. I mean, yeah. you know, the, the adage, if you ain't cheating in it, you ain't trying comes yep. from baseball. And there's been so many things that you could point to. Look, you still have to hit the ball. You still have to make plays. You still have to execute. Absolutely. Hinch is a great pickup for them. And if he can work some of that magic like he did with the younger players in Houston and bring that here. Yep. Yeah. I'm done. I'm, yeah I'm absolutely. Done. Yeah. It's, it's an exciting time. You know, I think I, I mentioned this on the show a few weeks ago where I just feel like Detroit sports fans in general – We've, we've been down the dumps now for, you know, a decade and a half, it feels like, quite frankly, up and down for the most part. But I'm starting to see the end of the tunnel a little yeah. bit for some of these teams. Like, I know the wings are still quite far off, but you have Eisenman here. You got some young players that you're really excited about. You're not doing anything signing old guys for really long contracts. There's a lot of good things to be had about a lot of these. Or the Pistons tonight, as we're talking, oh. they have the draft. They just made a trade for the 16th pick and got Trevor Ariza. I don't know if you just saw that. Getting, I know that. Good. getting an expiring deal with all the money that they've never had before, and they're not going and spending it on Charlie Villanueva and Aaron Gordon. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, uh, 
there's there's things to be excited about in Detroit sports. It's, it's finally yep. about time that we're able to kind of start seeing the upswing and the the fruits of the labor of being patient as a fan base. So it's extremely all right. Let's shift now to the biggest reason why you're on this show is talk about Lamphere Sports. Um, okay. As I mentioned earlier, I'm an I'm from Lamphere. I went there. You were a teacher of mine. Um, but you're also you're also a coach. You've you've been you know you've you've done baseball since what 2002 was it was it the yep, first year 2002. 2002. Yep. Um, you know I, I've been around when you coached basketball, whether it was freshman, JV, varsity. I've seen you coach football. That's how I first met you. Was you're an assistant coach for football. Um, but first thing I want to just hit on right off the bat is talk to me about this resurgence of Lamphere football last uh, this past season because wow, what a freaking story where I don't think anybody had any real expectations coming out of the last few years and man shot right out of the freaking cannon. Did you guys do it? So, okay. Going back on all that stuff. Yeah. I've, I've been a head coach since 2002 of the Lampier baseball program. I'm so proud of that program. And most importantly, let me give credit where credit's due. Great players that have come through there. Mm-hmm. You know, we've been able to send 32 kids on to play college baseball. We have had a major league draft pick. Yep. And just some great people involved in that program all the way throughout. Absolutely. Um, I was a basketball coach in two different stints. One was highly successful, <laughs> um, brought the only league championship. Again, great players, yep. great kids. And then the second time around was one of those big times where I was asked to try to bring some stability to a program. And honestly, Rob, probably not one of the greatest coaching jobs that I've ever done. Um, you know, and that was the one that made me look real hard in the mirror. And, um, and then I also was a head coach of the hockey team, believe it or not. Oh yeah, so, that's right. I forgot yeah, about that. <laughs> yeah. And so then a long time football assistant and to your, you know, to answer your question, I did know what we had. Um, I was fortunate enough to coach six or seven guys, you know, depending so did on I. how I, funny enough. So did I, when they were yeah. 12 and 13, I had all of them. I yeah. had, I had the Joe McNabbs, the Nick, the Hernandez, the, the KJs. I had them all. So the Jake Malik's, the, the Drew Webster's, I had them all they, <laughs> before they, they got to you guys. For me. And so yeah. it was never in doubt whether or not they were winners. Yep. I, I just was like, I knew this. Yep. So when coach Glenn had decided to step down to go back to his alma mater at our lady of the lakes, yep. um, you know, a, a couple of names had been bantied around and lo and behold, the, the, it was presented to a couple of veteran coaches who had been there. Yeah. Um, to be honest with you, I didn't really want anything to do with the head coaching job, but I wanted something to do with the program and to be really involved. Okay. And so I talked to Mr. Masano, Art Masano, who is yep. the head coach. And, um, and I said, Hey, look, if we get a veteran staff back together and we, we were jokingly calling it getting the band back together, yeah. I think we can go there and we can win. I think we can yeah. win now. Eight, no five yeah. shutouts. Yeah. Uh, Didn't see that one coming. Yeah, no. for sure. <laughs> and, and neither did. I, I don't think, I don't think anybody did. And, and yeah. honestly, if you went to the first couple of practices um, and rightfully so, you know, we talk about today's player, they were, they were very standoffish. They were like, who are these old guys? What are we doing? Why do we need to listen to them? Blah, blah, yeah. blah. Yeah. And, it was a combination of everything. Like um, I had taken over a lot of the conditioning portion and, you know, really kind of got into that initially. And, and it was really important because in the summer, really, truly, that was all we could do. We couldn't have any right. contact. Couldn't, talk, couldn't touch each other. Couldn't do anything. Yeah. yeah. No, no pads, no anything. Right. And so a lot of it fell on that kind of thing. And, and we started with that mantra that nobody was going to outwork us. And then it trickled into Mr. Bellier, who, 
you know, everybody who's ever gone to Lamphere High School knows yeah. that if you're listening for Mr. Belly on the field, you got to hear something like that. <laughs> Squats. And, yeah, and, and he's been coaching, quite frankly, Rob, he was my offensive line coach. Right. And so a lot of people might look at him um, as this guy who's an old, crusty, you know, coach, but right. he was a national champion for Hillsdale and he knows his football. And, you know, don't think that there wasn't any correlation between that improved line play and the fact that he brought it there. And then the great thing that Mr. Masano brought to the table was uh, a pedigree of winning. You know, he's also the golf coach, a very successful yep. golf coach. Absolutely, but, for sure. But Mr. Masano is incredibly pragmatic, and he puts up a, a huge, like, front that almost seems unapproachable. But what I call it is unyielding and wanting to be excellent. Yes. So you had, you had a lot of dynamics with some veteran coaches, guys who knew each other real well. And then we have a um, coach Mullen who came back. He was part of the, the staff when we coached with coach Sharon, mm -hmm. um, coach Causey, uh, who was our defensive coordinator, great coach, um, works with the track team now, does a fantastic job with that as well. Yeah. Joe Savelle, who was a, uh, you know, a holdover yeah. from last season. And then one of the interesting points was, and one of the great, we talked early in this whole yeah. interview about coaching growth. Yeah. Jason Sharon putting his ego aside and coming back on the field to call plays and to make that offense as, as like an offensive play caller um, was something else. So, you know, the coaching was fun. But again, I want to give credit where credit's due. Those kids great have kids. Great kids. Oh, man, the yeah. heart and the guts and the grit and the, t the tenacity. Mm -hmm. I'm going to tell you right now that country day team that we played yeah. had, had some incredible athletes. There's going to be some guys going on to do some oh, yeah. you know, division one things, but we are here where we were there. We yeah. weathered the storm and we were in very good positions throughout that game to, yeah. you know, surprise somebody and win. And, you know, unfortunately it, it did not for one time, you know, it didn't yeah. go away this season, but yeah. what a great season. I mean, you talked about some of the names, yeah. Joe McNabb, was obviously one of the, the, the stud, key. absolute stud. Yeah. He's going to go major places. I'm so excited for his future. And, you know, he was one of the big, you know, yep. I say big six foot six reason. No why, um, <laughs> he Collins, was taller than me in 12. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But then you look at other, other players who came along and improved yeah. like KJ Whitman. There was never, ever a question about KJ's ability on the football field. Nope, and ever. you want to talk about one of the things that, that I, bring to the table it was just hey kj let's keep you in the game let's keep you moving in this direction blah 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 right. Right. and now he's you know getting looks from colleges right i saw i think he just got an offer from adrian i think i just saw yep. recently yep. so that's huge right and i've coached with his dad too kevin so he's a great guy too oh for sure and yeah. i mean jake malik and javari yes. johnson and nico mm -hmm. hernandez and ben johnson and i mean yep. seriously i don't get name mad at the lampier community <laughs> i could go on and name the entire roster I'll give you a couple more. Dylan Chargo, Nick Christich. <laughs> had them all. I had them all. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're just tremendous kids yep. with, with, you know, a great attitude and yep. a never say die uh, type of like just grit to them. And that's what I saw when I had a lot of those guys in baseball, they won a district championship as, as sophomores. Yep. You know, we had a couple good senior leaders on that team, but I knew we could win. And that's why, to me, it wasn't a huge surprise. Yeah. To the rest of the league, sure. I mean, I did. Oh, sure, absolutely. No one expected the, what no. you guys shut the cannon. And, you know, it's funny. You know, it's it's funny when you hear – I hear all these names because, like I said, I had them. I won championships myself with the same kids, you know. So, I, yeah. I feel that, like, at the, you know, the 7th, 6th, 7th, 8th grade level, you know, with the Madison Knights Wolverines, all those kids – 
that you named, I had, you know what right. I mean? So I can, I can, and it's funny because I think that's one of the biggest sources of frustration from, from maybe the city and, and, and people around is like, man, we had a lot of success at this level. Why is it not translating to the high school level? And obviously high school is a different animal altogether, yeah. right? You, I mean, you got 14 year olds playing against men at, at times, you know what I mean? There, there's a big difference in, in, in talent and everything else, but to finally see it come together in a way that everyone's like, Yes. And everyone can get behind it and there's no egos and there's nothing about it. It's just pure unadulterated happiness for a group of kids. Yeah. For a group of kids that were just like this. Yes, we're doing it. And we're, and we're, we're doing it our way. Um, the, the Jason Sharon thing though, did shock me when I first heard that he came back, you know, he was the varsity coach when I was in school. Um, and you know, it, it, you know, it, it was so, so it is what it was, but at, at the same time, um, one of the biggest, I think, I guess, complaints that I've heard over the years about not just Lanfear's program, but I think a lot of, co- a lot of high school, you know, programs that, you know, you look at the talent, you go, there's a lot of talent here. Why are they not, why is it not clicking is the inability to change and to fit your schemes according to players. And I felt like that was a little bit what was happening with Lanfear, not even when Sharon was there, but I, the Glenn administration, the Glenn era as well. I felt like there was, a little bit of that where we were trying to fit some square pegs into round holes and not to talk down about anybody's schemes or anything like that, but I just felt like this year for one reason or another, it just felt like we were able to kind of put it all together and accentuate the positives and hide the negatives. Is that what you felt this year? Cause like we've always been this big, massive spread offense for what it feels like forever. And we didn't have the kids to run that kind of offense for a long time. So, and I too, and I'm not trying to be political, no, yeah. because you know I, I'll shoot it as straight as I can. For sure. But here's the, here's the deal. Um, you know, we. I don't want to talk for any other coach. Here's what no, I. Of course. What I understand. You you made a, a couple of allusions to like changing for the sake. So you don't want to change just to change, right? You can't no. take the nati- the latest YouTube thing and and like throw right. it out like all right, we're gonna run this now. No, you, right. you first have to identify your culture and and your identity and who you want to be. And then you have to, like we had talked about at the onset of this, yeah. thing, put people into positions where they can thrive Succeed. and be successful. Yes. And Dylan Chargo was the quarterback last year. And that doesn't yep. mean that he couldn't have been a great quarterback this season. For sure. But we needed him as a tight end. And lo and behold, thank goodness, he, you know, you mentioned that name because mm-hmm. Joe McNabb went down in the Southlake game. And if we don't have another viable option right. at the tight end defensive end, which we don't because we don't have a ton of depth, no. then we're really struggling. And – it was that kind of selfless act, yes. and that's one of those. There were so many of those that took place this year that the, the ability to change and say, okay, I know uh, Drew Webster. Yeah. Drew Webster's a fullback, but when our line got banged up and we lost one of our best linemen, Drew had to go to the interior. He had to change his numbers. And I mean, that's yeah. anybody who's got any inkling of superstition knows that that's like something you don't want to do. You don't want to mess yeah. with that mojo. No. But Drew went from 20 to 57, didn't miss a beat, and willingly was like, coach, you need me to play there. I'm going to play there. And those are the, those are the things that I think we exemplified as a coaching staff. Like we're going to, we're going to sacrifice and we're going to, we're going to meet you Mm -hmm. in the middle and adapt to this entire thing. 
And I think our players finally got to that point because trust is such a huge component. It's, it's everything. Of any team. It's everything. Know? It's yeah. everything. If, if I can't rely, you know, I played off interior offensive linemen for a good chunk of my career. If I can't rely on the tackle next to me or the center yeah. next to me, and if you don't know what you're doing, I'm screwed because right. we all look bad now because of it. And, and a lot of people who maybe aren't on the ins and outs of football, like we are where, you know, it legitimately does take 11 guys all on the same page to get somewhere. I mean, getting 10 yards is not easy. I know it looks like it is, but it's not. And to be able to get a stop and only hold a team under 10 yards in three, if not four plays is nearly impossible when you really think about the odds of it. So the fact that you were able to do what you did defensively and to put these kids in, in positions to where you're just like, man, it's just, it's just gelling into, into, put these kids on a pedestal where you just go, man, it just seems like they're all buying in. And once you get buy-in, that's when you're dangerous because then it's like, there's nothing that can stop you at this point. I have my team. I got my coaches. I'm good. There's nothing you can do anymore. That's going to stop me. And that was a lot of what we kept preaching and, and schematically, you know, coach Causey and coach Masano putting their brains together and putting those, especially on the defensive side of things. Yeah. Masano was the D coordinator. I think the first go around for this staff. I yes, believe, when he, I was there. Again, yeah. again, you talk about like yeah. delegating and, and letting yourself go. He let – defense was his forte. Yeah. He let himself go, gave it over to Coach Causey. Causey yep. put those kids in position. And lo and behold, I mean, you can go down a line. Yeah. Tristan Gist with a huge interception against Southlake. Drew Webster with a you know fumble and pickup against Country Day. Seth Ernest with the pick six. Love Seth. Yeah. Women with a key interception. You yep. just look at all these guys that made plays all over the field. It was because – like, you know, trust, yeah. leads to loyalty, loyalty leads to, you know, you, you being able to just buy into exactly what's going on. Absolutely. And then because you have that reliability on the guy next to you, then you can just go out and play. Yeah. And, and you're not you, thinking, you're not thinking. Yeah, when, you, yeah. when you get that, it's paycheck time, you yeah. know, and they cash a check weekend and wake out those kids did. And that's why, I, I mean, look, I'm just at a point in my career where I don't need it anymore. I, I, I like it when people say nice things to me. I really do. Yeah. Right. Um, and I do, I hate it when people say mean things to me I, I, at my heart. I'm a nice guy, yeah. but the bottom line is the players play and right. these players played, they executed, they worked their tails off. They deserve all the credit in the world. And, and that's just what I'll stand by. They just, yeah, they, they were great. It's so good too, for the future of the program. I know with COVID and everything right now, we don't know what that's going to necessarily look like. Hopefully next year, it'll be more of a normal off season. I have my doubts, but nonetheless, um, but to be able to grow the program again and, and to get the numbers back a little bit, because there was some times there where, man, we were feeling really sparse. Even after I left, my sister just graduated from, from Lanfear. So I would, I would stop by and I'd be like, man, there's like, you know, there's, 20 kids <laughs> on the team. You're like, this is not where we want to be heading. So it's, I just wanted to take a moment to really single you, the, the football program out because it is a drastic turnaround, but it's also one that I feel like it's, it's something that the Lanfear community has just been like, that's been dying for, oh, for you so long. It. It's just yeah. been like, everyone was so like overjoyed for the kids and for the program and for the school. It was nice to finally just be like, all right, we did it, you know, and we had, a, you know, not just you, you win the division and you're competitive and you look competent out there and, and you look like you belong and, and to, to show your, I don't want to sound cheesy here, but show your Ram pride a little bit and be yeah. like, that's my team and that's my school. And I'm proud as hell to be a part of what's wow. going I mean, on here. Graduating from there, growing up in the city. Yeah. My, my son who went to Athens this year, yeah. he played baseball with all these kids and, right. and growing up. So, I mean, I've watched them since they were little, little kids and knowing what kind of like 
you know, what they brought to the table. Absolutely. I can't be any more, you know, can't any happier for them. I, I really am proud of them. I'm, I'm keeping my fingers crossed, like you said, too, because so many of them are – we didn't get a baseball season last year, so they yeah. didn't get a chance to their junior year. There's literally college-level talent that just yeah. hasn't had a chance to showcase itself. Right. And so the question is now, what are they going to do to pivot? Because it's going to be a challenge in this winter to get anything done baseball-wise. You know, right. I mean? absolutely. So, you know, your K.J. Wemmons, Dylan Chargos, Drew Webster's, um, Jake Malik's, all those guys yep. are my ball players too. Yep. And we just got to keep our fingers crossed that we get you know, a season. I hope so. <laughs> yeah, I, really, I, yeah, you know, I do too. You, saw, you said it and you saw it. Yeah. That was such a welcome break from the monotony of let's get up and zoom. Let's get up and sit there in front of the computer and right. let's worry about the presidential. No, we presidential. Yeah. Lesson, what? We didn't have yeah. time for that. We, we exactly. were for Cranbrook and we were preparing for Detroit Chandler park and Detroit country day. And what yeah. a welcome thing that was because yeah. that was, that right there shows you the importance of the high and, and you know what, this is coming from the baseball guy, <laughs> the importance of high school football. Absolutely. It's, it's the lifeblood of a school at a lot of times, yeah. right? Like it's, there's nothing more exciting than a Friday night home game against a rival or a divisional opponent. When you're like, we got a good shot of beating these guys or, or whatever. There's nothing better than that. No, there's no comparison. I wish you were, you know, but yeah. you can't, it's not. No, let's okay. shift now. Let's shift now to, to baseball here. Your, your forte, uh, our last topic of the evening here before I let you go, I've kept you for 45 minutes already. So, um, <laughs> um, you know, for a long time, that was, that was, your, that's your bread and butter, right? It is baseball, right? You've been running the program now for almost 20 seasons, which is crazy. Cause you don't look like you should be that old, but regardless, um, Thank you. <laughs> but you know, the biggest thing, and I even recognized this when I was in high school and when I was there, we had a lot of conversations about it, you know, uh, Greg Fettis, the one who was drafted by the Tigers and the Oakland A's in separate times, you know, he was the one, he was in school when I was in school. So, and you had some, you've had, teams that were real, had a lot of individual talent that maybe didn't succeed as much as they should have. And you've had teams that maybe on paper didn't look like they should necessarily be winning as much as they have, but they've also won on and won districts and, and so on and so forth. But the one thing about your program that I've always admired and is something that is a, is a hopeful potential future head coach in my, in my lifetime is the model of consistency and of expectations and the expectation of, no matter what, we are going to conduct ourselves a certain way. We are going to play a certain way, and that is Lanfear baseball. And to have the consistency, maybe it doesn't show up necessarily where it's consistently 15, 17, 18 wins every year, but it's the consistency of being competitive and putting a, a good product out on the field, no matter what the situation is, and, and holding yourself in high regard. Talk to me about the challenges that it took to get to where you're at now, to where at this point, it's like you, it, you're just maintaining and you're striving for more every single season. So two, a couple of things, first of all, thank you very much, you know, for recognizing that. And again, like it's, it's so ironic because I, I did a, I did this quick little video and I was yeah. only doing it to show a kid. <laughs> and I put it out on Facebook and all. I whole, saw it. Yeah. I saw it today. These guys come out from the 0203 teams and everything. Yeah. I, I, I was so fortunate. The 0203 teams, we're all kids that I grew up coaching with. So when I say grow up, I was their freshman coach. Yeah. I was their JV coach. And then I was their varsity coach. Oh, and wow. I'm talking in three sports. Wow. So a major, I'm talking like 10 out of 13 kids played football, basketball, and baseball with me starting like in 1998 and then culminating up to right. 2002 and 2003. 
Wow. You know, what a, what a great thing to have that kind of loyalty and trust in the program. And I'm going to rewind the tape even further back. When I was given my first coaching opportunities was in 1998, first under Russ McKenzie in football, and then under a guy named John Haas in basketball. And I'll get right back to John, but also Frank Persichino, for whom I played and had the most respect for as a coach, uh, as a player. Those guys all came with different strengths. Frank, first and foremost, was what you would call a player's coach. So he knew how to, like, demand but still talk to you as a human being. Right. Russ McKenzie alluded uh, – prepper. Or he, he was probably one of the most prepared football coaches you will ever see in your entire life. Yeah. Practice plans, all, this, all these things. And that team showed it. They went to the playoffs. They won division championships. And that was when Lampier was in dire straits. Yeah. And then I, I had an opportunity to work under a guy named John Haas. And John and I – John – brought this idea of family together. And what he, what he did was he actually verbalized it. It was like one of the first coaches that I saw ever be vulnerable and told me, he's like, well, family means more than just like, hey, put your hand in here. Mm-hmm. He was like, your wife's given up time for you to be able to do this. Right. And soon you're going to realize that you're going to have kids. At the time, I didn't have it, so I didn't really get it. Yeah. And lo and behold, he was right. He passed a book along to me uh, called Leading with the Heart. And that was by Mike Krzyzewski. And that was my playbook. Even though basketball didn't fit into everything, the plan for what it fit for everything. And then I was also uh, lucky enough to be able to sit, uh, you know, at the time with Andy Lopez at one of the conventions. And baseball guys, this is when I realized that baseball guys were the best guys in the entire world because he literally handed over to me a three-week preseason program and said, this is what we do at Florida. This is what huh. we do at Pepperdine. Wow. And I was like, what? Yeah. Seriously? Yeah. And, and I'm looking at it and it had this plan and I brought it right. and, and combined it with some of the stuff that I wanted to see as a player and that I had had the opportunity to see at Oakland. And then all of a sudden guys were like, Whoa, this is unlike any baseball pr- practice that we've ever had. Yeah. And I think that's like the biggest thing that you get, you get like this miniature college experience when you come here mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. yeah, Rob, I mean, I've had some incredible runs. Oh, six was a group of Madison Heights, little leaguers, very much like this football team that we had today yeah. who just were they I remember it Brian Mason was a kid who graduated in 06 and he came to me and he said coach we're gonna win a state championship and I'm like okay Brian you know all right you know. <laughs> yeah right yeah. Well, well, they came you know two games away and a, and a tough out at third base from doing it but it's when you have that kind of team and you have that kind of leadership and then you pass the torch so to speak from year to year that's what happens with that kind of consistency and that expectation and you know, there was a rough patch there. Um, we had had a couple of things go not the way that I had expected. And yeah. I, I, I'm going to tell you, I, I, again, full transparency, 2015, right. 2016 was probably the lowest point of my coaching career. And um, you need these things, these wake up, you, you need them. People have yeah. to provide you with them. And then you individually as a coach must be cognizant enough to be able to acknowledge it, right? Mm-hmm. So I was sent to a aspiring principals program I think the intention that Lampier had was, why don't you become a principal someday? And I realized <laughs> then there that I still have my eye on wanting to one day be an athletic director. I yeah. don't want to be a principal, but the leadership stuff that I was taught during this academy and the stuff that I was able to bring to, not only to my classroom, but to my field yeah. was unparalleled. And it also made me stare. Like I had to do these exercises where they were like, well, you talk about core values. What are your core values? And I was like, oh. 
Oh yeah. Whoops. <laughs> and, and I didn't realize until you really put out there what they are, right. how far I had strayed from those because of whatever you can use whatever excuse you want. And I had, and yeah. I had sacrificed that. And that was my fault. So as the leader of the program, I had to do a complete 180 and then not only, you know, readjust my values, my goals and, and reestablish, not readjust, reestablish those, but yeah. share them with my players so right. that they can understand, oh, he's not nuts. He's not crazy for yelling at me. This is just right. what he believes in. Right. And, you know, trust and loyalty and, you know, family and camaraderie, all those things are core values that you bring to the table and that if you want to play for Lanford baseball, you have to bring. And, and yeah, do kids muddy the water? Sure they do. They, they talk about each other behind the back. And oh, yeah. when that happens, then you got to coach them up. You got to tell yeah. them the story about the, the great story about the buckets of ice cream. If you got two buckets of ice cream next to each other and a little sliver of poop falls into one. Well, guess what? That little, that bucket of ice cream is no good anymore. Right. So you've got to figure out either <laughs> right. how to, you know, get eat around that, that little sliver of poop. <laughs> or you got to get rid of the poop, and right. and those are the those are the things that you you start those little stories that you acquire over the course of your coaching career right. that help you really adjust and, and be better. And I'm going to tell you this right now, and I, I made this commitment. I tell it to all my classes, and I tell it to all my teams. If I get to a point where I think I know it all, and I get to a point where I'm the expert on everything, that's the time I need to walk away, because right. in both my profession. Uh, as a teacher and in my profession as a coach, there's still so many people that do it well and do it better than you and you can learn from them and they're willing to share it with you. If you're not willing to listen, then it's time for you to go because your main job as a high school coach and your main job as a high school teacher is back to the old adage, right. put people in position to be successful like yourself and, and then watch them be great right. because it's not about you anymore. Right. Yeah. And, and that's, and that's so, that's so key. And that's something that's kind of been a common theme across a few of these interviews that I've done with, with coach Brian Barnes and Bishop Foley, uh, Stephanie Jerky from Notre Dame college. It's, it's really just at the end of the day, implementing, you know, what you just said, your core values and being like, listen, this is the bar and you have to, and you have to make that bar. And sometimes that means that it's not the best kid. It's the right kid. And it's the right group of kids, you know, and I was there, for a couple of years there where the expectation among the, the circles, maybe not in your mind, but in a lot of people's mind was a state championship. You had, you know, a lot of college athletes that were leaving on, on certain teams when I was in high school and they didn't maybe live up to those expectations. And I remember getting phone calls from you saying, yeah, we didn't, we didn't play well today. <laughs> and, you know, as I was filming a band recital or I was doing something or I'd call you and ask you how a game went and you go, yeah, we lost. And it was just one of those things where you're like, I don't get it. But then I think the year after, I think it was the year, my senior year or the year after, I think it was maybe not necessarily the most star studded team in the world, but you guys made a district final run. I think it yeah. was. And yeah. it, it was a totally different you at the same time too, where it was like, you could, you know, the, some of the transformation that was happening. And um, you know, I just have to commend you though, for the fact that I always felt at nothing else when I was a student there before I was a student and after or even when my sister was going there it was the one model that if I could model my own program after it would be the way you run your baseball program because I've never seen a kid even kids that have been cut by you even kids that maybe don't necessarily agree with your philosophy I've never had someone come and tell me well Wooly was unfair or Wooly Wooly favored 
so-and-so over me because of X, Y, and Z. I've never had that conversation with anybody. And it's so rare for somebody who's coached as long as you have to have that, you know, and you have these egos and you have parents. And I've always found a lot of times in my coaching experience, baseball parents sometimes are a little crazy because every kid's on a travel team and everybody thinks their kid is amazing. It's a little scary. (laughs) It's a little scary at times, but I, you know, to be able to produce the kind of talent that you, that you have in such a small area like Madison Heights is that's also split up with two high schools, which it shouldn't, but that's another conversation for another time. And to be able to turn out the talent and to develop talent and to get kids into upper education and give them a chance, not only play at the next level, but to get into college education that may, they may not have gotten otherwise outside of athletics is so impressive and so important that I think that that is something that needs to be commended and you should be commended for it because I don't think a lot of programs think like that, unfortunately. And I think it's more about the winning. It's more about the, what do I have in the short term, but you've always thought long-term you, you've ne- I've never seen, I've never seen you go, well, it's going to be this year. And then after a while, it's going to be, right. you know, it's going to be right. shitty for a little while. Like you've never had that mindset. It's no, this is my 15 guys. This is what we're going to roll with. And oh, we're going to battle. Yeah. yeah. And we're going and it's it, you know, and I've been there to call games, you know, for you. I've announced games for you and everything else. I've probably gotten looks at other teams, by the way, <laughs> I announced some of those games, but the point is, is that it's consistent and, and there's an integrity to the way you play the game, the way you've coached the game. So you should be commended for that for sure. Um, I've had a tremendous like amount of fun doing this. I, I held off on contacting you until I, it was a, special enough kind of day or a special enough kind of episode because for me like like I said you're an extremely big mentor for me uh, in my regard you know I've, I've talked about doing this for so long and I finally just said screw it what am I waiting for and just right. went for it so I was like all right you know what let's do it you know um the times that I had in your class are some of my favorite memories ever of high school um so I mean also once again thank you so much because without you and your class and, and your teachings this would not exist for the seven people who listen or for the 700 people who listen doesn't matter to me at the end of the day it's it's a fun thing for me but um so thank you for that thank you for being a model of somebody that as also as a fellow coach that i can model myself after from a a role model standpoint and the way you conduct yourself both on and off the field and also just thank you for being a great friend because at the end of the day that's that's what it's it's truly important well i'm going to tell you right back at you i mean you know like i keep talking about players and players and players and players you know, I, I've had the, the, the pleasure of having 21 years of classroom experience like this, too. Absolutely. And for people like yourself, these are the kinds of like resuscitative things when you when you've dealt with Zoom all day and you're trying yeah. to catch kids up on work. <laughs> yeah. To hear you say those things and then to see like the great things that are happening in your life. And that's what I will go on Facebook and Twitter and look at the great things that are happening. All I want to see is right. people of our community getting the most time. out of what they've been given. And you're doing that. And you know what? It's a pleasure of mine to be able to provide that opportunity. And it's a pleasure of mine to be able to call you a friend and, and what a great job you were as a, as a kid and every, as a student and everything else. So look, I, I'm, I'm happy to do it anytime you want to talk. I'll be as candid as I can be. And, uh, <laughs> but no, I, I, you know, like I, I enjoyed it too. I think this is awesome. I think it's yeah. so cool to see 
everything in action and uh good job I, I think, i'm just proud of you and i'm happy for you i think we'll need to get like the whole staff on at one point we'll have we'll, we'll you know we'll get a whole joint call going i'll put them all we on can do there. that i mean yeah. we, all, we yeah. all know how to use zoom now so. yeah right yeah exactly i'll get i'll get them all on there so it'll be a, it'll be a good time for sure but uh stay on the line for me just a second but we're gonna wrap things up here with mr coach adam Mooley. hopefully we'll have him on sooner rather than later maybe talk about an upcoming baseball season it's a little early so i can't ask about the team or anything so happy 200th by the way great Thank Thank you. Appreciate yeah. it. Thank you so much. And welcome back to the second part of the I'm Always Right Sports Podcast. Once again, we really want to thank Mr. Adam Woolley uh, for joining us for part one of this show. It's the two-year anniversary of the I'm Always Right Sports Podcast. We now join you back here. I got the Mercs on Mike Merkel here. Mm-hmm. As always, he is here with us. Once again, I am the mouth of Michigan, Rob Mendeika. Uh, once again, big shout out uh, to Mr. Woolley for, for joining us here for the first part of this. This is going to be a long episode today, guys. Uh, lots of stuff to talk about, you know, which is exciting in, in a lot of aspects just because, you know, quite frankly, you know, we haven't, this is, this is different. You know, we haven't had the amount of, I think, moves, especially on the Detroit Pistons side. I can't even tell you the last time it's been like this. Can, I mean, I don't think we've ever had. <laughs> no, it's like it's, legitimately ever. No, for sure. And that's, what's crazy, right? Is that you look at it and you go, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things to where you're. You're excited. You're nervous. You don't know what the hell's going on. There's a lot of things. NBA free agency was explosive, mm-hmm. to say the least. It's I think it's everything that people want NFL free agency to be because NBA is so there's so many loopholes and like sign in trades and extend and released and in and out and mm-hmm. sideways, left, right, east, west. It's NBA free NBA cap management has got to be the biggest mm-hmm. migraine ever. Like, if you tell me I am a cap manager for an NBA franchise, I go, so you're a genius. Yeah. And you know how to mess with numbers because I don't know how Yo, Legitimately, like, looking at, like, obviously I, I look at the Lakers stuff right now because yeah. LeBron's there and stuff, and it's right. my favorite team, I guess, right now. That's yeah. unfortunate. Um, <laughs> but just, like, the amount of money that they're paying all these people, and I go, how yeah. does that fit into their cap? Yeah, because they're paying like KCP <laughs> like thirty million dollars yeah, now. Like, how does it work? AD doesn't even have his max deal yet, and yeah. like everyone, and they paid like twelve people on the roster already. And I go, Dennis Schroeder, and I'm like, do they even have money to pay Anthony Davis anymore? Yeah. They do. They have like 150 million stone cap. And yeah. I go, where? Montrez Harrell's here now. And you're like, wait, what? How? Like, how how yeah. did you fit all these people in? Yeah. And the Pistons are doing the same thing, except their whole team is overhauled. So now it's like they they have dead cap over here, and then they have mm-hmm. sign and trades over here. And I go, where? How do you even? Messed so let's so before we get too deep in, I'm actually yeah. gonna go through every single move that the Pistons made. So right, go I'll, take a nap, I'll grab a sandwich. Yeah. All right. So first of all, they traded away Bruce Brown, right? Which was a bit of a shocker, I would say. Right? He was the first, and that I think, if nothing else, that shows you that Troy Weaver is definitely like in charge because that was Stefanski's first pick as like our de facto GM. Mm-hmm. So it tells you that the Pistons are very much all in on the vision that Troy Weaver has, right? So they traded him away for Dazan and Musa in a 2021 second round pick. Um, then they basically they made another trade, um, which we'll get to in a second. Basically, they got the number 16 overall pick in, in exchange for and Trevor Ariza. <clears throat> excuse me, because um, yeah, sure, why not? Right? They sold a second round pick in 2021 for 4.6 million dollars, which I think is crazy that you just sell picks now. Like, sure, why not? They drafted Killian Hayes at number seven, so they stayed stand. You know, they were stand pat. They took you know, they took a. I I liken this guy a lot to I like the fact that he's a the first true point guard they've had literally since Chauncey. They have not had 
a true point guard since him. Like Rodney Stuckey was awful, you know. <laughs> Reggie Jackson's bad. Like there, we haven't had a, a point guard with any sort of upside. And mm-hmm. Brandon Jennings, get out of here. You know what I mean? Like Brandon Knight. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, the could man. have Kemba Walker, but it's fine. Whatever. Um, they drafted Isaiah Stewart, the center out of Washington, uh, with pick sixteen. They trade away Luke Kennard. So the, the this the two trades the the Luke Kennard trade as well as the trade to get the 16th pick for Trevor and Trevor Ariza were kind of roped into one here. So basically, the Pistons gave up Bruce Brown, Luke Kennard, Justin Patton, Portland's 2023 second round pick, and our own second round picks for 2024, 2025, and 2026. So I don't expect the Pistons to be picking in second round anytime soon. Um, in return. They got the number 16 pick that Dazan and Musa, Jalen Hands, Rodney Magruder, Toronto's 21, 2021 second round pick. So Luke Kennard is no longer. He's on the Clippers now. I expect him to really thrive in LA because he's just going to sit in the corner like Kyle Korver did mm-hmm. and just shoot threes all day. You know, um, real quick on that though, what are your thoughts on giving up Kennard? When they gave him up, I was a little bummed, honestly. Um, I know he's coming up pretty quickly here for a contract, for a new contract, as well as he's had some injury problems, and defensively he's, quite frankly, a liability. But yeah. what were your thoughts on Kennard? Because I still liked, the, I still liked his offensive efficiency, even mm-hmm. though maybe he wasn't maybe the greatest on defense. Yeah, he was... Uh... He was I I liked him. He did get injured a lot though. That was so the big, that, he's got, that's he's my big problem. Problems, he's got didn't the, realize. Yeah, he has a, like a lot of knee problems. So yeah. with that, um, I'm okay trading him away. But I did like he, he just reminded me of the Kyle Korver esque. Yeah, where he just right. like sit in the corner. He'd be a great sixth man off the bench. I think he was the threes, first guy but... too that we've seen in a while that's actually like progressed. Like it feels like a lot of draft picks that we've had. Like Henry Ellison was a complete disaster, right? Mm-hmm. Like some of these guys were just like. You felt like you were seeing some progression from yeah. him, but I also don't think they want they were gonna want to pay him. Mm-hmm. And with some of the money that's being handed out in the NBA, it is insane, which we'll get to. Obviously, they, they trade away a, they trade for a sec or oh, I'm sorry, they drafted Shadiq Bay with their nineteenth overall pick, which they gotten part of that trade. So the Pistons turned one pick into three first rounders and a second round pick in literally hours, which is insane to me. So they draft a point guard in Killian Hayes. They draft uh, the the center from Washington. I don't even remember what Isaiah Stewart. And then they draft Shadiq Bay. So, I mean, the one common theme between all these guys is defense, quite frankly. They're all, you know, defensive-minded. Shadiq Bay is a 3-and-D kind of guy. Um, Isaiah Stewart, who's a little bit undersized to be sent. I think he's only 6'9", which is funny to say he's only 6'9". But, um but they're all defend. They're all you know. They're all key defensive pieces, right? Which I think is exciting, and I think that's kind of where you're starting to get a little bit of a vision or what Troy Weaver wants to do, especially with some of these other moves that they make. Um, they draft Shadiq Bay. They trade for a second round pick. Um, they traded future considerations, whatever that is, for the number thirty eight overall pick and Tony Bradley. Um, sure, why not? Um, and you know, and with that thirty eighth pick, they draft Saban Lee, another guard out of Vanderbilt. What you saw, I think, Weaver do a lot of this is take on contracts that other people didn't want in return for assets. So really utilizing some of this space that they had and in order to kind of like, you know what, we need to tear it all down and we're, let's jumpstart this rebuild the best way possible and, and get some quality players in here as quickly as possible. Um, they, you know, they traded for Dwayne Dedman in exchange for Kyrie Thomas and Tony Snell. Tony Snell had an expiring contract. Kyrie Thomas apparently is not part of the... Uh, the equation here, um, Thon Maker, my boy, Thon Maker is gone. Unfortunately, they didn't like his 
lack of production, apparently. <laughs> they signed Mason Plumley to a three-year, $25 million deal. We'll talk about that in a second. I'm not necessarily thrilled with that. They signed Jaleel Okafor to a two-year veterans minimum deal. Josh Jackson they signed, the former number four overall pick from Kansas. He's coming to Detroit now. You've got Jeremy Grant coming over from Denver on a three-year, $60 million deal. Um, Mike's really excited about that. Christian Wood is no longer a piss, and they did a sign-and-trade with Houston. Um, that kind of goes back into the number 16 pick. A lot of this stuff, it was like it was reported, and then, oh, by the way, here's what actually is going to happen, though, like mm -hmm. like from a league perspective. So it's a little weird. Um, they gave up Christian Wood a heavily protected 2021 first-round pick, which can, gets more and more or less protected, and which will wind up, I think, I think at one point there's almost no way that Houston gets a first-round pick out of us. Mm -hmm. It's going to wind up being a second. Um, and then a Lakers 2021 20 second-round pick in return for number 16, which was Isaiah Stewart. Um, Trevor Reese and that second round pick. Uh, they made another trade for DeLon Wright, which was a three-team deal with Oklahoma City and Dallas, which is, once again, insane, where they sent Trevor Reza. So Trevor Reza was a piston for about 48 hours, it seems like. Mm -hmm. And then um, the big thing, though, that I do want to get into is that it looks like some of these guys, Dwayne Dedman and Magruder, are going to be waived and stretched, which means that they're going to cut them, and, but they're going to stretch out their contract so they don't take the hit now. It's going to be spread out over the next five years. Now, you may remember this from the Josh Smith fiasco where Van Gundy went, you're so awful and we really don't want you here that we're just going to cut you and pay you periodically over the next five years. And we just got out of that, and now we're going to do it again with these two contracts combined, basically equaling up to like 4 or $5 million, which is what we were paying Josh Smith. So, Mike, I want to ask you, what do you think about what the hell? I just went through everything. I know that yeah. was a lot, and it was a little confusing. It's a little confusing to read, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. um, but, I mean, this entire team, in a matter of a week, mm -hmm. is completely overhauled. We thought Weaver was going to be aggressive. Um, we, there, was, there was inklings that they were trying to even trade up even higher. Um, give me your thoughts on what the hell just happened. Because I'm like, I've never seen this much Pistons news mm -hmm. since they traded from Blake Griffin. Uh, yeah, legitimately. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, yeah, it was quite shocking, honestly, flurry. going in. That was just like a flurry of Pistons stuff coming in. Yeah. Um, I thought before this, before all of this yeah. would happen that they weren't going to do much of anything. It was kind of like sit still and go, yeah. we'll wait a year, yeah. wait till the big free agents come out, and then see what we can do then. But they went in, they said, you know what, we're going to overhaul everybody, we're mm -hmm. going to draft some of our prospects, and we're just going to roll with it. And yeah. honestly... I don't hate it. No. I, I like a lot of the people that they end up getting. Uh, Jeremy Grant from the Nuggets, it's by far my favorite one because yeah. watching him in the conference finals, he really balled out yeah. defensively and offensively against the Lakers. He yes. was probably the third piece and to that Nuggets team. And he down the exact same deal from Denver. So yeah. there's obviously a promise from Detroit that he's going to have a much bigger yeah. offense. He's going to yeah. be a starter. Yeah, I'm, I'm assuming that he will be here and – he might even be the guy to kind of replace Blake Griffin mm -hmm. if he is not in the future plans because he's getting up there in age. Mm -hmm. uh, not directly, but like in like two or three years since right. he did sign three years. Probably that second, third year, he's probably going to be like, yeah, you're probably going to be starter sixth man at the worst right yeah, now. I think he's going to be the starting power forward. I yeah. think, I think, you're, if, I think if, you're starting, your starting five is going to be weird because I think honestly it's going to be Rose and then name a, maybe Josh Jackson, maybe that... Uh, uh, the other guy, the, the shooting guard from the, that they just that they traded for, uh, what's his name again? I just missed it. Uh, what's his name? What's his name? What's his name? Uh, 
uh, Delon Wright, mm-hmm. Force V, Machulia, whatever the three point shooter, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Blake Griffin, Jeremy Grant, and probably Mason Plumley. I think that's probably going to be your starting. Yeah, five. something like that. Yeah. Maybe Seku gets in there somewhere. Yeah. Who knows? Um, but yeah, so I really like most of the moves that they made. Yeah. I think you have actually good depth on the bench now too, because you can have Haynes coming off the bench now and have mm-hmm. a great bench 12 14 minutes off the bench stuff right. i think it's, i think everything was pretty good i yeah. don't really have much complaints i have over really i have anything. i have two complaints my first one is the mason plumley signing i don't get the amount of money they paid him three years 25 million he's a backup center at best you know he played for denver once again so they basically signed the backup front court for the Denver now basically yeah. um I don't. I don't really get that signing. Um, just because I don't. I don't really see where it helps you. I guess is my is my thing. You know, Christian Wood, younger. I know he was going to be more expensive, and you know, with a three year, forty one million dollar deal, I didn't know if they wanted to go that high for Christian Wood. Um, that was the only I think questionable signing from Angelo Okafor. is going to be depth off the bench. I like taking a risk on Josh Jackson on a two year deal. Um. I really appreciate the fact, though, that they didn't do any. They didn't sign anybody like a max deal. They didn't sign Fred Van Fleet for a hundred million dollars. Thank God, right? They didn't go and make Gordon Hayward even more richer for doing absolutely nothing, because um, he's gonna play twelve games and get hurt again. They didn't do anything like that, or they didn't pay Marcus Morris or Marquise Morris, whichever Morris brother got four years, sixty-four million dollars from uh, the Clippers. Marcus. Marcus Morris, thank you. Like that's insane mm-hmm. to me. Um, so I don't feel like they I don't feel like they necessarily dug themselves in too big a hole. Everything is three years or less. So you're clearly seeing that like all right, we're gonna get this team to a position where we're gonna at least be competitive. They're not gonna be very good. Let's be clear, they're not gonna be good. I don't I don't think they're gonna be really in it for an eighth seed necessarily at this point. But I think that they're going to be a lot more fun to watch because you're gonna see a lot of young guys get a lot of meaningful minutes, which mm-hmm. I think will be nice. Um, the other thing I don't really like. Um, but I understand it is the, the wave and stretch. Uh, you just got out of that hole. I'm not a big fan of carrying tons of dead cap. The Lions are a huge egregious person to do that in the NFL where we've got like like $12 million in dead cap right now from guys they trade away. or they'll It drives me insane. The wings, for so long, we're in the same situation. Um, so I'm not a big fan of the wave and stretch. I get it to get some of these assets to make these moves work. I honestly think there may be one more move or two. I don't know if it's going to be big or not. I've heard rumblings still. I'm still seeing some things where there could be pot. They're still maybe looking at Russell Westbrook, which I think would kind of derail everything that they just did in a lot of aspects. Um, but I'm, I'm happy. I, I, I can appreciate the fact that they were aggressive in the draft, which we've never seen, quite frankly. And two, that they have a plan. It's a very, it's a very, you know, and people are like, I don't know what the plan is. I know what the plan is, at least for off paper. They're going to be a very defensive sound team that's going to get a lot of young guys a lot of playing minutes is what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. And they are going to allow this team to grow with the core. Like, Killian Hayes is your point guard of the future. They're banking on that. They're banking on Seku developing. They're banking on, you know, Blake to get whatever left they have out of Blake Griffin before they turn it over to these other to these young guys. I mean, you've got four guys right now in Stewart, Hayes, Seku, and Shadiq Bay. Four guys that you are hoping are going to be pillars for your franchise going forward. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So that that's where I'm excited. And I'm excited that there's actually a plan. Mm-hmm. Whether it works or not, you can argue, but there's a plan. And I mm-hmm. and when's the last time we were able to say that? Like, we're in a full rebuild now. They, they they gave away pretty much everything they could. They got rid of bad deals. They got rid of guys that could maybe help them win more right now, but would take away minutes later. 
and he's rebuilding the team in his image. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm I can appreciate that. And you've got a guy in Dwayne Casey who can develop young kids, who can who is a, a de- defensive minded guy. They're gonna slow it down on their on when they're on defense, and I think it's gonna be it's gonna be fun to watch to see this development mm-hmm. with a couple veterans like Rose and Griffin, kind of leading the way. Yeah, I I 100% agree. You know, and I'm actually excited to watch I think it's, I think it's just going to be worth I think I think it's going to be worth to watch them just mm-hmm. to see what what it is, mm-hmm. right? Because like for the last couple of years it just feels like all right, you know, like Derrick Rose is fun to watch because it was nice to see him have a bit of a resurgence, but let's be real, th- this team before this was no better than maybe a 7 seed. Mm-hmm. And that's if everything goes right. Mm-hmm. You know, so to have the op- like to have some, you know, the opportunity to see some of these younger kids grow and turn into something, that's exciting. Because right now, if you're the Pistons, you're not going to be in the way. You're not going to be in that market for Giannis. You're not going to be in that market for an Anthony Davis or any of those guys. They're not coming to Detroit. Nobody wants to come here. So they have to draft well, and they have to make these sign-in trades in order to get the pieces necessary to be competitive. So very exciting. Um, Let's shift now from the Pistons, though, just to the NBA as a whole here. Give me your... Give me your biggest shock move, whether it's a, a draft pick, whether it's a signing. I mean, because it's all condensed, right? So we got NBA overload this week. It's, okay, the league starts, so trades can happen, yeah. kind of, but not really. Then the draft, then free agency. Now everything becomes official, and everybody has a small NBA gasm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's, yeah, it was a small NBA gasm, 100%. Uh, my big shock move was Manchester Herald to the Lakers. Yeah. Um, not even because like I like watch the Lakers all the time now, but just because I that was like the last name I would expect the Clippers to lose. Yeah, especially six man of the year. Yeah. yeah, six man of the year, and I didn't think that they would lose him, and especially to the Lakers. Like if yeah. he would have went to like the Hawks or like any of like the Bulls or something, I would be right. like, okay, so you just lost him because he wanted to get paid more over here, but he just went, no, nah, I'm just gonna take my talents to the Lakers now. Right, like he literally just. Moved over to the Lakers. Took less money too. He's the he's yeah. their mid level exception. I believe. Yeah, he yeah. is. So I think that was for me that and the Rajon Rondo to the Hawks and not to a contending team necessarily. Yeah. Were my two like, huh? Like yeah. I did not. I definitely did not see that coming. But Most of the moves so far, I've kind of seen. I think the around the for, horizon coming. But, I think the one thing for me too is the Gordon Haywards one. Not the fact that he's gone out of Boston, but the fact that he went to, to the Hornets. Hornets. Yeah. I think that the, I think this was a. I don't think. I think Gordon Hayward has reserved himself to be like, maybe my jazz years were my best years and I don't have that anymore, so I'm just going to go by name and mm-hmm. just go to the worst team that will pay me the most money. Because yeah. mm-hmm. Hornets aren't in contention by yeah. any stretch of the imagination right now. I like the I like the ball pick, don't get me wrong, but they're not competing anytime soon. Um, so with Gordon Hayward, they will be better, especially if he's yeah. healthy, but that's a lot of money for a guy who's played 12 games in like three years. Mm-hmm. So that, that was a big one to me. Are you surprised that Harden or Westbrook didn't get traded? Um, a little bit, but <clears throat> I do think it's coming yeah. eventually. Right. Like within the sure. next three, two, three weeks, yeah. I'm assuming it will happen. Yeah. I, I honestly, I think there's going to be a point though where if it doesn't happen, it might not happen till the, trade the seasons, like or yeah. the trade deadline. Right. Because I don't think teams, if, if it doesn't happen by say like December first, because yeah. the season starts on the 22nd. Teams are gonna be like, I don't want to trade you, have you for two like a week or two to try right. to get you in, right. and then have you for the first game. Like, yeah. I think you want to have it early enough, or right. it's like we're just gonna roll with the guys we have right and now. And if we feel works. like we're making a run, now now the time now to we're just gonna to grab this yeah. guy. Yeah, because like you know, like Brooklyn has stayed kind of quiet. They signed that one guard for a bunch of money, right? Brooklyn mm-hmm. hasn't done a whole lot. Um, 
the Warriors trade for Kelly Oubre, which is fine. You know, yeah, the Bucks got down. True Holiday. The, okay, can we talk about that trade for a second? There, what are the Bucks doing? Like, I like I like Drew Holiday. I do. I like him, but that's a lot. Yeah. And I'm, I'm I'm assuming then they have a promise from Giannis that he's staying. I think that I think you do not mortgage that. That was a lot of draft capital. I think that that I think I think they basically got Giannis to sign it. Basically, yeah, like, like it was okay. basically so like, like if we're gonna do this, you're you, staying. You're right? staying because if not, we're totally screwed yeah. for the next. Because I think years. I think in hindsight, if he does sign, I think it's great because you have True Holiday and Giannis there. Yeah, that's a great one sure. too. Yeah, but I do think that if he somehow and Middleton's still there. Yeah, too. And Middleton. Yeah. But like if it was like, oh, he's gonna dip to. Yeah, Miami yeah, he's gonna go next year. Then you're absolutely screwed. No sense. So yeah. I, I think Giannis. I think that's basically a big yeah. red dot that's saying, yeah, Giannis is staying in Milwaukee, yeah. which definitely makes next year's free agency way less interesting if he does stay. Because there's, there's always, always a thought. You yeah. never know. Dwight Howard said he was staying in Orlando all year, and then all yeah. of a sudden, and I'm gone. <laughs> um, another one I want to talk about. Just give a quick shout here. It's to the Oklahoma City Thunder. They've got. Legitimately, picks for they've got Edward. first round picks. I think for the next thirty years, yeah. like they've got like multiple, multiple, multiple first round. The picks. crazy thing is, they're actually like good too. Yeah, so I they're mean, good. Chris Paul's gone. Picks. That's another big trade. Two Chris Paul going to the Suns, right? Yeah. Well, I think we talked about that a little mm-hmm. bit last week as well. But you know, Stephen Adams is gone now. He's in New Orleans, which I think is going to help Zion actually quite a bit. I think oh, it'll let Zion to kind of float a little bit, not have to be a traditional center. Um, but I mean, Oklahoma City, if you're a team that if you're like, you know, listen, we're not very going to be very good right now, but man, I mean, the future could not be brighter if you're Oklahoma City. You've got draft picks, literally, you've got like, I think they've got at least two first round draft picks for the next like seven years. Yeah. At least. Yeah. So that is insane. If you just got to hit on half of that, (laughs) I think you're going to be pretty good. So that is pretty crazy in itself, too. You're seeing these, these differences of philosophy. You're seeing Houston basically tear it down. But then the Christian Wood thing makes no sense to me because it's like by the time you're competitive again, if they get rid of Harden or Westbrook, they're no longer competitive. So it's like it's weird to see him go there because you don't have any draft capital because you had to give away most of it to get under caps for people to take bad contracts that you signed. And now you're going to get rid of Westbrook who you gave up more capital to get in the first place. Harden wants out, and yet you're signing an up-and-coming player like Wood to a three-year deal knowing that, he, by the time you're competitive again, he's probably going to leave. Mm-hmm. It's a weird... You've seen teams that we talked about at the beginning of last year that were like, oh, they're trying to make a run, and immediately go, nope, never mind, screw it, we're out, and take a complete 180. Mm-hmm. Um, is there a team for you that you're surprised didn't do more or didn't drop, or you're like, what Like, what are you waiting for? What are you doing? Or, or are you just waiting for the hammer to finally kind of drop for a team? You uh, can't say the Pistons. The Pistons have been the most active team. No, uh... <laughs> It's the, uh, the Clippers. Yeah, I'm, sure. just, I'm just sitting here waiting. I teamed like, up right pretty good. I was yeah, like, you did. Yeah, it's, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah. it's like you said. I said yeah. it's oh. them and the Nets really are yeah. the two teams where I get like you guys are big powerhouses, and the Nets are probably going to be the favorites maybe in the East with the yeah. Bucks. Probably it'll yeah. be like a one A one B thing the there. Gonna, or the 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 East is going to be fun. Yeah, the East is going to be a lot of fun with very competitive. Yeah. But the West, uh, I was thinking about it earlier, like right before I came here, yeah. and I was like, so you have the Lakers who are pretty dominantly going to be the favorites this year. Yeah. And then you go, who's... Because now that Clay got hurt and the Clippers aren't doing anything. Like, Clippers are sitting there after getting eliminated in the second round and yeah, not doing anything. They didn't prove your coaching staff. Tyron Lue? Yeah. Let's go. And, then, and then the Nuggets got rid of pieces that were helping them win. And then Houston wants to get rid of Harden and Westbrook. I'm like, why is... The, West all of a sudden is just like... Weird. 
coming down yeah. like way yeah. way more than I thought it ever would. Mm-hmm. And it really comes down to what are the Clippers doing because I think the Clippers are a team that can get one or two pieces and be like, all right, it's us versus Lakers. Mm-hmm. It will be us versus Lakers because how bad the West is. But now I'm like, the the Rockets could just upset them if they keep Westbrook and Harden because yeah. they're right. not doing anything. They're not getting right. better right now. There's a lot of teams out there right now that are younger. You know, I think Denver's just kind of biding their time. Yeah, Dallas. Yeah, Dallas. Dallas yeah. was just da- I think Dallas is is all of a sudden looking at like, man, we can make a run yeah. for a three. Yeah, three we seed. could get like, a three four seed, yeah. and we could probably get to the Western Conference Finals and play the Lakers. Maybe yeah. probably lose. But, but we could get there. Yeah, right. And, and have a chance. Zingas can stay healthy. Yeah. yeah that's a big like, key for them. And, you know, the East, like, I look at the Boston Celtics, too, and I go, what are you guys doing? Yeah. That window, good. I think, is closed, quite it's, frankly. It's I, I think because, okay, great. You've got, um, you got Num Nuts there. What's his name? I can't. Tatum. Tatum, thank you. You know, you got him, you got Jalen Brown, you got Kemba, but, like, yeah. You know what I mean? You get rid uh, it's just they would have re- they would have benefited from uh the Christian Wood signing. Yes. More. Yes, they would have. And you they know need what's a funny big too is they they tried to trade up and do some things. They're trying to clear space, I think to, they're trying to clear space either for Westbrook or or for Harden or something like that. I don't think that's going to happen. Um you know, their draft picks have been uninspiring to say the least. And also, you know, when you look at it and you go, "Okay, Gordon Hayward was a total flop in Boston," you know, mm-hmm. and you can say that and that's like now you're like I don't even know if you're the third best team in the East anymore, you know, because I think I think the Heat's there. I think you've got Milwaukee's there, and I the think Nets, you've got the Toronto. Nets there. Toronto's still better. existing. I know they lost a couple pieces, but Fred Van Fleet's back. And I think you're on the level with the Sixers. Yeah, probably. which the 76ers are clearly trying ben, to Because Simmons and Embiid, I'm like, those two together can just, if they stay healthy, are very good together. Right. So. But they got rid of like Al Horford. They got rid of him now, too. So there's some pe- there's a lot of movement that happened in this offseason in a very short amount of time. They traded a lot for Danny Green. So they they were like, Danny Green's the guy. Yeah. I think it was more to get Al Horford's contract Probably, off the books more than it was for Danny still. Green. Because it was like, can you take... That's the thing about the NBA that I think is crazy, is that the NBA is willing to... Tra- like, GMs are like, we need this money off of our books immediately and we'll do a lot yeah. to get rid we of will, this we money. will take a 55 year old man yeah we're gonna take a blind guy ham sandwich and a fan or in order for you to take this 40 million dollar yeah. contract and people go okay and that's why i thought the pistons could have really been in good position to do something like that because of that another team that a little bit that i want to hit on just real quick before we move on are the um are the knicks you know the knicks right now they kind of just you know i'm surprised they haven't done something Nickish, I guess is the best way of putting that, where they went and tried to sign a Gordon Hayward for a bunch of money. You know, Could this be a sign that maybe they have people in charge that finally know what the hell they're doing? I think the Knicks are in where I thought the Pistons were going to be, yeah. where they're like, let's just like wait this year I mean, year they signed Nerlens Noel for one year, $5 million yeah. deal, which... Yeah. Day, you know. No, they're just kind of like, let's just kind of sit and wait and see yeah. what we can do maybe next year and maybe get another high draft pick. And I like, think they're waiting. Like, they're just kind of like in the waiting game right now because they're like, yeah. once they saw the Pistons start making moves and you look at the East, like we just said, it's like, we probably won't be competitive at least yeah. this year. Right. So it's like, let's just wait and see kind of thing. Very interesting, for sure. Oh, it looks like I just camera died. All right, this is going to be a videoless episode apparently yeah, today. That's fine. fine. Uh, we'll just keep going then. But it, it's just, this NBA whole season has just been crazy in yeah. so many ways. December like, 22nd, it's going to be it's nuts. Not, We're a month away. We have this recording, month we're a month yeah. away. So it's going to be fun. It's going to be interesting for sure. Um, it, it's one of those things to where if you're a Pistons fan, I think if you've been clamoring for a rebuild, you kind of got it. Pretty quickly 100%. here. I mean, they literally tore apart the entire roster. Um, 
And if you're and if you're somebody who wants them to compete, I think you're also somebody who's like, okay, let's go because I think you've got pieces now. They're not competing for a championship, but there's a vision. Mm-hmm. And you're going to see what this team looks like. You're going to see how they do it. I still think, once again, there's a move or two left to be made. I don't know if they go splashy with it necessarily, but I do think I think they need more shooting somehow. Still, I I still think that they need something else, but I don't I don't know what that is necessarily. Mm-hmm. But I think they need at least one more guard. I guess yeah. is the best way of putting that. Um, but it's gonna be interesting nonetheless. All right, let's talk. Um, what else? We got? Oh, we gotta talk about Michigan football. I was okay. like, I got all discombobulated. Yeah. Here. Um, a few more things. But yeah. Michigan football. Yeah, Michigan football here. Michigan wins against Rutgers barely after an abysmal performance in the first half. Um, McNamara is the new guy. I think we all look a little stupid right now talking about how well Joe Milton played week one. <laughs> hey, I was I was not on that boat. I said, I need to see you against a good yeah. team. And then Michigan State showed up, and I said, oh, wait, that's what you are. Yeah. Um, so it looks like McNamara is going to be the guy. I don't see Milton taking over, obviously, at this point. Goes to show you, I don't know what they saw then between Milton and McCaffrey. Clearly, they thought Milton was better. Like, clearly, Milton had to have done something better than McCaffrey to make them have the confidence that he was the guy. But if McNamara's the guy, which he beat Rutgers, I know Rutgers is a little bit better now than they've been in years past, but I'm going to still hold my expectations based off the fact that they're also 1 and 3 going into this game. Um, so. You know, you look at this, you know, the, the quarterback change. I mean, give me your thoughts on where Michigan's at. Are you still in favor of Harbaugh getting fired? Um, I know a lot of Michigan fans. My entire family is Michigan fans. They all want him gone. Yeah. You know, I, and my argument still is who are you going to get? Um, and they're like, anybody at this point. I'm like, <laughs> well, okay, well, we saw anybody. And it, yeah, and it do you did. want Brady Hoke to come back? Yeah, exactly. Oh, my, my uncle's excuse is, well, they won the, you know, they were they played pretty well at Brady Hope for the first year. I'm like, okay, great. They had one season where they won the Sugar Bowl against Virginia Tech with a quarterback who now played tight end for the Washington Redskins. Like, let's calm it down a little bit here on that. Like, I get it. You're not playing well. They, they, I think that if Harbaugh wouldn't stay, I think they need to basically fire everybody on their coaching yeah. staff. But uh, give me your thoughts. Just on yeah, Michigan as a I whole. Mean, the, the quarterback changed. You like the kid. You not like the kid. Oh, I mean, it's hard not to like him after the performance, but, like, for future, I mean... Yeah, no, I think the kid looked really, really good, and I'm a big fan of him, and I'm just going to say, because Kyle liked Joe Milton so much, so I'm yeah. going to be like, I'm on this kid's train. <laughs> I don't even know how to say his last name. McNamara? Mac- McNamara? Sure. Yeah, yeah. We'll roll with that. Um, but I'm going to roll with McNamara now. He's going to be my guy, so when he's better than Milton... Okay, I'm so I'm going to take the so. third guy that comes in. Yeah, you're going to take the guy when McNamara throws four, and especially next week, you're going to take the third-string guy who comes in. That's fine. And that's the, you know that's the thing that's what? funny though it's hard because you know I think we were both on the train though let's give Milton some time here you know and I, I made that argument last week when they were playing Wisconsin I'm like listen this kid hasn't played in two years you know it's like oh he should be ready and the argument is maybe well how come every other team can do it I think Michigan fans a little bit I don't know if you're with me on this I think need to take a step back for a second and understand that where you think you are and where you actually are as far as college football hierarchy is not the same. Mm-hmm. I think Michigan fan, and now it's one thing to expect that you want to be good and you expect to be competitive. That's fine. But when people say the phrase, well, this is Michigan and we sh- in, the, in the expectation was that we need to be compete for national championships, I hate to break it to Michigan fans a little bit, but you haven't been competing for national championships since like 2004. Mm-hmm. So like, I, I think we need to pump the brakes a little bit. I get Harbaugh came in with the fate, with all the, with the hoopla and, he hasn't won the big games. I get that. But if we're looking historically, Michigan hasn't won big games at all, mm-hmm. no matter who was the coach 
in the last 20 years, historically. I think their last really big win was over a Tim Tebow-led Florida Gator team, you know. So, like, the last Rose Bowl, they played USC. They got destroyed in, you know. They haven't won a bowl game, a meaningful bowl game in a long time outside of that Sugar Bowl, which I'm going to put, uh, I guess that's a meaningful win, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I think that Michigan fans thought that when Harbaugh was, and I get it, we're in year five or six, but I, I don't, I just, I guess I just don't understand why Michigan fans, I, I don't know if it's just because a lot of them are older and they were during the Gary Moeller years where they were really good mm-hmm. and they were able to ground and pound and kill people, where, like, we haven't been that in a very long time. Yeah. And you're not Alabama. Mm-hmm. You're not even now Clemson. You're not Ohio State. Now, you need to try to replicate whatever the hell they're trying to do, <laughs> but yeah. you're not doing that, and you haven't been that in a very long time. Mm-hmm. We need to stop thinking about them as the 1980-1990 Michigan will really look at them as they are right now, which is a above-average college football program. See, I think it's hard because I think you have spurts of where you look really, really, good. really good, yeah, like, like 2016 Wolverines, yeah, like outside of you know getting uh, you, they weren't even blown out that year by Ohio State. That was no, the, that was the that, that was, was the, the spot. That was the spot game where yeah. you lost in like double overtime. Yeah, like you look at that team and you go, but then how did the next year you go like? eight and five right. or whatever. Right. Like you just like so lose it all in one year and you get destroyed every other year since then. Right. I think that's the problem that you look at is, and even the 2018 Wolverines, you go into that game at number three or four in the country. Right. And then you just, and then you lose like by 65 points or whatever. Yeah. But I think, I think that's the thing that's annoying people is oh, yeah, that you're, sure. you go in and you're like, yo, like we've had, we have had stretches where like, we're like the best team in college football and we're, and then it turns out not. And I think people looked at this year, they're like, Milton should be the guy that should be, should be ready. They should be ready. This should be the team. And when it definitely blows up in your face and none of that was correct at all. Mm -hmm. I think that's, where everyone's getting like i get the frustration you know and once again if they fire harbaugh i'm not going to be mad necessarily Mm -hmm. right there just better be a plan you know and you make the comparisons between this and the lions where you know it's i'm very much in favor of firing matt patricia today even i don't care um but at this point you know it's one of those things where i think the the expectations i think and the way they're brought in i think are just a little bit different because Harbaugh, whether you want to give him credit or not, he did turn around the program. Mm-hmm. I mean, Brady Hoke was here. You're a four-win football team. He turned it around, right? And you can say, okay, there were Brady Hoke players. Whatever. Fine. They were winning. And they, I mean, they've consistently won eight to nine games pretty much the good majority of time that he's here. Now, is that national championship? No, it's not. And do they need to get there? Yes, they do. But I think we're looking back on some of these other coaches like the last 10 years didn't happen and Rich Rod and Brady Hoke wasn't a total disaster. Mm-hmm. So... You know, whether they fire him or not, I'm not going to be overly exuberant or not unless Urban Meyer's coming here. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because it's just one of those things to where I think we need to kind of frame it a little bit better. The Milton thing, I think, is probably his biggest blemish in not being able to find a quarterback, honestly. Yeah. I think that's the number one biggest blemish. And we talked about this a little bit in my interview with uh, Mr. Woolley is that I feel like Michigan doesn't have an identity mm-hmm. right now. Defensively, they can't do what they want. They can't rush the passer as well as they wanted to, and they can't play coverage offensively, they want to be a spread offense, but they can't do it because they don't have the players to do it. They don't have enough speed, it doesn't feel like. They don't have enough separation, or just the scheme isn't working. But they also kind of want to be a power run team with this weird, like, offset eye, but he's also in the shot. It's like this weird pistol offset thing that they're running. So it's weird. I just don't feel like they know who they are Mm -hmm. anymore. They're not the ground-and-pound team that we thought we were going to see, which we did see for the first couple years here. 
and they're not a high-flying explosive offense, which I think is what they need to be in order to compete, mm-hmm. and yet we're kind of getting a mishmash of everything, and it looks gross. Yeah, no, I do think that they're in a dilemma of... Do we want to be grounded? Like, they want to be grounded. And they de- that's Michigan football. That's Michigan football. Yeah. The problem is the best team in the Big Ten, and really the best teams yep. in general in college football, are Don't air raid spread offenses. Right. And so they're like, we can't compete ground and pound with their right. space in their air game. Right. So then it's like, now we got to kind of shift in. Alabama had that same problem, but was able to transition yeah. fluently and without really any hiccup because they were able to just like, get Tua and get these people that could just throw effortlessly. Right. But they had a stretch where they were like, ground and pound, ground and pound. Then they played Clemson and Deshaun Watson. They said, yo, this kid just spreads the ball out and throws it. So now right. we got to do that. So then they got uh, Tua Tungabailoa. And right. then they were like, all right, now we're spread. And then they go win a national championship because they can actually right. spread on pass. Right. And so Michigan's having that problem with the transition of, we used to be ground and pound, but we need to find that quarterback that can air raid and they can't get the quarterback Right, and I think they thought that. Nolan was that guy, you know, yeah. and I think they did. They, you see the athleticism out of the kid. You do. Yeah, you he see is. he's an athletic freak. He really yeah. is. But the 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 little nuances I think to quarterbacking I think are still a little bit lost on him. Mm. Um, I also think though they're doing this kid a little bit of a disservice. Now McNamara came in, he played a great game. I'm interested to see him play. I think they play Penn State next week. Is mm-hmm. that they play? I mean, I want to see him play Penn State. I know Penn State. Everyone's saying they're not very good, but they're going to be a bigger challenge than Rutgers. Let's you know, let's just be real here. So, at, at the same time, I want to see what he looks like for a full game. You know, it, it, we're once again back at the same notion of until I see something different, mm-hmm. I'm not going to get overly excited. Yeah. Um, but I'm once again, I'm just going to caution people. You know, it's everyone says it's a crapshoot when you're hiring a new coach, and that's fine. But just be aware that the, there's just a high possibility this guy turning around the program as it is that it, the program burns into flames. Yeah. So I get it. You're not happy being two and three. I get the fact that you're not thrilled with the way Harbaugh's playing and the expectations that came along with him. That's fine. But historically, he's no different than any other Michigan head coach. You know what I mean? So that's the thing. It's just it just it makes me laugh a little bit. Is really the end of it. But it is what it is. But. Um, we're interested to see where it goes. Obviously, if Harbaugh gets fired, um, you know we'll, we'll see what happens. I honestly think what'll more than likely, I think he just fires all of his coordinators. Probably. Quite frankly, I think he just needs to go steal Ohio State's offensive coordinator. I know Numb Nuts is still calling plays over Day, there, yeah. but get the guy underneath Ryan Day. <laughs> go hire whoever's the defensive coordinator out of Bama yeah, or whatever, or, whatever. or yeah. the defensive somebody else other than what the hell we got going on now. Mm-hmm. Because I think. That's the biggest flaw right now is that you have no identity on defense or offense anymore because the things that you were good at, you can't do with the kids you have. Yeah. So I think that they're very much in a I don't know what to do mm-hmm. kind of scenario. So I think it's hard to win no matter what. Um, let's shift now a little bit here. I want to talk about, um, you know, we talked last week about Survivor Series, um, and that's going to be obviously, by the time you're hearing this, it'll be last night. Um but it is the 30th anniversary of The Undertaker, and we talked a little bit about Taker last week. Um, you know, is he going to be that... He's not going to be the last guy on Survivor Series I team know, now. because so unfortunate. Otis or Big E or whoever it is. I don't even know. Is it Otis? Yeah, it's Otis. Oh, sure. Why not? Show so much I'm paying attention. Um, Same. But, <laughs> but, you know, he is going to be there tonight. You've got a lot of the BSK crew. I mean, you got the Godwins coming back. Savio Vega's making an appearance. The Godfather. Rikishi. Like, you got a lot of guys back... 
in the time where I don't think I don't even some people may listen to this even know who the Godwins are. Like, do you know who the Godwins are? Nope. They used to be a tag team. Sure. You know, you know they were farmers. They were, you know, I, I I would believe you. Former world. You tag. you could tell me yeah. that they would come to the ring hanging upside down, sliding down a bar, and I would believe you. <laughs> I don't know. They're former world tag team champions, in fact. But um, a lot of guys that rode with Taker, you know, for a long time. You yeah. know, Savio Vega still wrestling now for MLW. Um, you know, we all know who the Godfather is, obviously. You know, you know who the Godfather yeah, is. Come on, I was gonna say. Um, you know, so you're gonna see a lot of these guys here. Um, first question I want to ask you is, do we get one more match out of him, or is it done? Because he's been doing a lot of interviews. He's like, he's like, never say never. But nah, nah, last thing he's really did was WrestleMania last year. He hasn't even been on TV. He's been doing so many appearances, which is awesome. Um, did you buy me one of his cameos for a thousand dollars? No, they, they sold out too fast. <laughs> they sold out in like 20 minutes. I know, it's crazy. <laughs> um, but just talk to me about what, I mean, are we just going to see him come out and just be like, thank you, goodbye? Because I think they're going to save it for the main yeah. event. Yeah, probably. Or something like that, or right before, and I think an angle is going to happen. I don't want it to, though. But you you want him just to be I done. I want him just, you to, want be him just to be done. Yeah, the, his, <clears throat> it's really unfortunate to say now, but his matches are just so... They're rough. They're rough, rough to get through. Yeah. And I think if you're not going to have a big crowd, especially yeah. this year, like if you were telling me like two years from now, they would set up some match at WrestleMania in two years, where you can have like a full crowd there or whatever, f- fine, maybe, I yeah. guess. But right now I'm like... I don't want it to be in front of a virtual crowd where he gets probably beat the last time and then he does the WrestleMania 33 thing where he, like, hangs yeah. up everything and walks out. But it's in front of virtual fans and no one's really there. Like, that yeah. wouldn't be as impactful, really. No. So I think... And he doesn't want to do any cinematic matches anymore. Like, he no. doesn't want to do another Boneyard kind of match. No. So if it's not going to be cinematic and it's not going to be in front of people, I don't yeah. want him to stay in I front of the electronic... Thing, I think the people think it's the biggest Yeah, thing. I don't want him to stay in front of a thousand electronic... Right faces or whatever mm-hmm. and then do his last like goodbye or whatever mm-hmm. i want i wanted it to be in front of people since you can't i'm gonna say probably not and mm-hmm. i don't want to see one because of that reason yeah it's, um, it's it's hard for me because i think that if they wanted to do something they could I, the problem they, is that i'm looking at with who that's the, yeah. that's my biggest question is with who because yeah. you don't have somebody right now I don't want it to be a kurt angle versus baron corbin yeah. even if they have fans right like say say by march they're able to, because they're going to Tropicana Field anyway, they're going to try to have, they're doing what AEW is going to do, I yeah. think, is try to have like a small amount of fans. Yeah, they have 2,000 fans. But if they're going to be able to do more than that in the next couple months, which I'm not saying they are with the coronavirus, I don't know, I can't predict that. But if they do, uh, the only problem I have is with who. And yeah. I don't think you have somebody like, Roman would be the perfect guy mm-hmm. at this point where he's at character-wise, but he's also the world champion. So you can't do that, yeah. right? The Undertaker is the only guy that I have ever said that should have gone out world champion. And, and my logic has always been the same, is that he is the most defining character in wrestling history, mm-hmm. that he is the one guy where I could have... I think he's the only person I ever would have believed. And I this probably would have been a little bit better a couple years ago if he would have done where he was a little more healthy. I think he's healthy now, as we watched in the last Ride documentary. He's in much better health than he was yeah. a few years ago with Brock and everybody. But, like... Um, for him to go out, have one more match, wins the world title, puts it in the middle of the ring at the end of the night, and just walks out, yeah. and he's like, and he leaves, you know, as like the la- like the last guy from that era, yeah. I think would be awesome. Obviously, it's not going to happen, but um, I'm just, I want to see it for nostalgia purposes because I do think that he could give us one last like great story. Mm-hmm. 
but I just don't know with who. And because of that, I think that it should be better for him just to go out and yeah. be done. I, and I also think when you look back and you go, his last match was... With AJ. It was AJ great. And the Boneyard was great. match. Yeah. And he just goes out with, like, that match. It's like, yes, that is... Because in the last Red documentary, you said, I wanted to go out with that last match. So I was like, yep, that was a great match. Yeah. I think that was a great match. It I was. was. Like, it was. You know, and... He's the best said as the years yet. get on, he's like, I get slower as the years go on. Yeah. There's no doubt, right? Yeah. I mean, dude, he's old. Yeah. <laughs> he's not He's not 35 anymore. Yeah. Um, so, you know, give me your favorite. Do you have a favorite Undertaker moment? Like, or like a top one or two that, like, when you think of the Undertaker, what's the first thing you think of? Well, okay. I think of the four match cycle mm-hmm. between Shawn Michaels and Triple H, like, back to back Night Manias. Those four years. Those yeah. four years. Are like, and I guess if you put it into one moment, probably the twenty-eight one where yeah. he wins when the super kick into the pedigree, pedigree and he kicks oh, out, geez. and then he ends up winning, and then yeah. they're all standing at the that top. Like crazy. that whole like yeah. segment of moments would probably be it. But just like the four matches, you have like all story. It's, it's like the all only story time, driven. It's the and, only real time I've ever felt that he was gonna lose before Brock for me. Like uh, when he yeah. when he faced Sean, I didn't think Sean was ever really gonna beat him. No. Like you know, I knew Sean was coming to the end. The Triple H one was like, I can't believe they're actually going to give Triple H this win. Yeah. And because it was a super kick into a pedigree, I think it was onto a chair even. Yeah, I was I like, so. oh my gosh. Like, that was the first time where I was like, whew, like, yeah. I got a little nervous there yeah. for a hot second. You know, it, it's just one of those things where you like, heart palpitation yeah. a little bit. But that's your, that's the one that those Probably. four, those four, man. I mean, that's hard to argue. Um, I would say mine. You know, it's weird because The Undertaker, when I was a little bit younger, you know, he kind of made a resurgence, you know, mm-hmm. in that 2007 time yeah. frame, right? Where, you know, five, six, seven, where he was like inactive. He was on the road. He was doing yeah. house shows, the whole nine yards. So, I mean, my defining moment for me as a fan, uh, for me personally, is, 20, is WrestleMania 23 because I was there. Mm-hmm. Was seeing him win the world title, really stealing the show with Batista in a match. I don't think a lot of people had a lot of hope for it was going to be like a quote-unquote technical masterpiece. Really was, I think, the highlight of the show for me. Um, I know Sean and Cena had a pretty good match that night too, but um, I thought Taker and Batista was better just from a storytelling perspective. Um, So seeing him win his first world championship in like five years Mm -hmm. was pretty awesome. Um, But I think the, the quintessential moment for me is the fact that I think he is the only guy... To cross over so long, and oh, and literally from the moment he stepped into the building, has always been a top guy. Mm-hmm. Like Survivor Series 1990, he was brought in as a dominant force. A year later to the day, he beats Hulk Hogan at like, oh, if it's not a peak, it's pretty damn close to a peak of Hulkamania and beats him for the world title. And then and he's and it's never looked back. The, the the way he's been able to change characters, the fact that he has been able to do the things he's been able to do, the the rivalries he's had. Um, I mean, you look at the Kane rivalry as a whole that spanned twenty years. Yeah. You know, you look at you know the stuff he did with Sean, with Triple H, the stuff he did with Brett. You know, and in, in you know and basically from ninety four to ninety seven. Um, you know the stuff he did with everybody. It's just for me. He will go down as the greatest of all time from a character perspective and from a longevity. Like, I know Hogan and Flair, they vote, you know, but there were times where they weren't top guys. Mm-hmm. The Undertaker, no matter what, even when he was hardcore champion, didn't matter. Mm-hmm. He was still a top guy and was always a threat and was always somebody where, oh my gosh, Undertaker's on the card. I want to watch because the Undertaker's on the card. And mm-hmm. 
that for me, that's why he's on my Mount Rushmore of the greatest of all time. And I think he's the first one up there because of that is because there will, we will never, ever, ever, ever in our lifetimes see another Undertaker. Mm-hmm. Never. It, it'll never happen. I don't care what anybody says. You're never going to see it. So for my money, you don't get any better than that. So I hope this whole farewell thing goes well. I still think there's an angle coming. I don't know what it's going to be. Or maybe, I just hope, you know what I hope it's not, though? It's one of those, like, when DX would come out on a Raw, mm-hmm. and then, like, a low job or bad guy comes out, and then everybody just takes their turn hitting their finish yeah. on him. I really hope that's not a thing. Like, King Corbin comes out, and he just choke slams his ass. Yeah. I really don't want that yeah. at all. So, it's going to be interesting, unless it'll be fun to watch. Um, but, you know, to, to think that this is actually the closing of, of, the, of the chapter here is... Kind of crazy yeah. when you really think about it, because it's one of those things where WrestleMania is not the same without the Undertaker. It's just mm-hmm. not. Whether you want to, whether you're a fan of him, whether you think he should have retired twelve years ago, it's just not the same. It's just not. Yeah. So it, it's going to be interesting to say the least. If there is an angle, obviously we'll probably talk about it next week. If yeah. it's something stupid, we'll be bummed out about it. But <laughs> yeah, <it> sounds right. <laughs> That's gonna be it. Uh, for this week's show, next week, uh, obviously, we'll give you guys, actually, first off, I want to say happy Thanksgiving to everybody who's who's listening, because we, we won't hear from them until then, but um, we would really appreciate all the support over the last two years. Uh, this is the two-year anniversary show, episode 104 for us, and to say thank you is an understatement. I want to say thank you to Mike, because um, without Mike being here, I wouldn't be able to do the show. It'd just be a lot of me talking more than I already do. Mm-hmm. Um, shut up. Okay. <laughs> Uh, thank you to Kyle, who's not here right now. Thank you to M. Thank you to everybody who's given us their support. Um, these last few years have been a lot of fun for both of us and for the whole crew here. We've made a lot of adjustments. We've made a lot of, um, you know, we've done a lot of things. We've covered a lot here mm-hmm. in two years. Um, I think it's, I think that's an understatement. We've moved studios. We've, we've changed setups. We've done a lot of different things. We've added some things. We've, we hope to have brought some sort of, um, some levity to sports talk because right now everybody's just so doom and gloom. So it's nice to be able to kind of break out a little bit and talk about something a little more positive. Um, but on behalf of everybody here, thank you so much for the two year support. I hope to, that you guys continue to support um, the show. Please be sure to subscribe on any of, your, of the podcasting sites that you listen to podcasts on. Make sure you go to our YouTube page. I'm always right sports podcast. Uh, look us up there. Give us a follow. We really appreciate it. Um, and obviously buy our shirt at belowthecollar.com forward slash I'm always right PC. But that's going to be it for the two-year anniversary show. What better way to end the show than been talking a little bit of The Undertaker? I can't feel a better way to bookmark the end of two years mm-hmm. than by talking about this. But on behalf of The Missing Whale Man, on behalf of The Merc Zone, mm-hmm. I'm the Mouth of Michigan, and we will see you guys, as always, next time.